Welcome back to another episode of the Front Page Football Podcast. And tonight, we've got a bumper episode of the pod. Uh, yeah, we're back. First time in a while that we've done a, a real kind of bumper episode. And I've got quite a few people joining me tonight as well, which I'm very excited about. So, starting off, uh, one of our regulars uh, on this podcast, Cody Ajada. How are you doing on this lovely Sunday evening that we are recording this podcast, Cody? I'm doing very well, Christian, and it's 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 pretty cool to be known as a regular now. Actually, I never thought I'd be at this stage of my career. So, man, very honoured coming from the wise words of you as well. Yes, yes, yes. I am very wise. Thank you, thank you for pointing that out. Uh, I'm also going to bring in Jack Tuhill, uh, who last time he featured on this podcast was when we did our mid-season review, and I thought he did a very good job on that podcast. And now he is back with us um, this evening. Jack, how are you going? I'm very well, and I thought that was so funny how Cody called you wise. I just wanted to, I just cracked up. I Is that because you don't think I'm face. wise? Ah, uh, no comment. If I speak, I'm in trouble. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No. that's a good good decision from you. All right, I think we know who's employer of the month. Who? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we don't we Julian, don't do that, but yeah, um, you know, sure. If you want to give yourself a self appointed employer of the month, then why don't you go ahead and do that? Um, okay, moving on. Um, Jake Hollob joins us again uh, this evening. He was on the pod last week, new contributor to Front Page Football. Jake, how are you? I'm great, and I'm honoured the gaffers give me a call up for the second game in a row. I'm I'm very very honoured, so I appreciate it, Gaff. Yep, that's all good. That's all. What good. is all um, with this Christian praise? Why why are we doing this? It's it, it's all kayfabe. Why I'm turning heel? I'm the heel member of Front Page Football. No praise from me. I'm gonna be the revolter. What is going on? <laughs> I'm just I'm just gonna move on and not address that. Um so yeah. Also joining us, um front page football's very own Tasmanian contributor, uh Tanner Code, um joins us as well. Tanner, when was the last time you were on the podcast? It's been a while. It's been a while between drinks, hasn't it? Oh, it certainly has. Back when uh I think it was in November when I was uh having a good wine about victory's form. Not much has changed, has it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, luckily, I, I tell you, Tanny, luckily they did not play uh, in the last few days. Uh, they're actually playing tomorrow. So maybe we could just preview the game instead of, um, instead of, yeah, getting a depressive state about victory, probably losing again. Okay, <laughs> um, let's move on. Let's, uh, so yeah, we'll start off talking about the A-League. Um, interesting round. Um, yeah, quite a few interesting results in there. Um, and uh, yeah, particularly at the top. Um, some some interesting results in that kind of top four as well. Um, let's let's start on Friday. So Perth Glory snatching the win against the Wanderers uh, with ten men after Jordan Elsie got sent off uh, quite stupidly after after a few minutes into that game. Aaron McEnough pops off pops up. Sorry, uh, with the with the winner. Um, Perth staying in the hunt for the finals. Wanderers um, and Marco Rudin very much frustrated uh, with the result. Uh, Cody. I'll let you take it away uh, with this one. What um, what were your feelings coming out of this game? Because it feels like Perth have, have really snatched the points there. Look, I saw some commentary around it towards the end of the match, well, not towards the end of the match, after the match, saying that it was like an all-time A-League game or something. I guess in a way you can say, um, the best way I can describe it, I don't think I've seen a more entertaining 1-0 win. I spent a lot of that game, and this is my professional side, is going to come out a bit, I spent most of that game laughing my ass off at the fact that Wanderers probably couldn't hit a barn door. Um, if I want to do a bit of serious analysis, Wanderers really should have taken something away from that game. They were just very, very unfortunate. Great resilience from Perth. Um, very gutsy win. Something 
and that the fans are going to take. And look, if you're a Perth fan, you're one of those, what was it, 7,000 people that were at that match? I can't remember the um, actual crowd figure off the top of my head, but if you're one of those people in the stadium and you're not coming back, going back to HPF Park for the next time that they play, um, what are you doing with your life? Unless, of course, you genuinely have something on. But look, great day for Perth. Not so much for the Wanderers, but there's probably still a lot that the Wanderers can take away from that game, except for the fact that they would probably be absolutely frustrated. Mm. Seven thousand eight hundred ninety was the was the crowd there on uh, at HPF Park. Yeah, so, I would expect yeah, not... uh, hopefully yeah eight thousand nine thousand next time they play because it looked like a good old night at HPF Park. Yeah, it was top vibes, top A League vibes. Red card in the first two minutes, and the team that has the advantage literally like th- there's no way they could have got more chances that should have been goals. Like I was at work walking around, and every single like probably like a two-minute interval that I was in between doing one task or another, Tao Palazzari's voice decibel level just goes up about 10 or 20, and yet Western Sydney Wanderers can't hit the back of the net. I think it's just proven that Perth vibes trump anything in football. If it's in Perth and Perth are playing, the vibes always wins. The house always wins. It's like going to a casino, but, you know, there's... It's a casino where all the cards are aces and the only people who have cards are the dealer. Okay. If you can make sense of that, uh, of that analogy, listening to this podcast, then then good on you. I, I can't. So, um, I'll tell you, Jack is really making, um, making a real uh, impression in his really, uh, to the podcast. That's, uh, that's for sure. I'll tell you what's great about Friday night Perth games is that I can watch some local football uh, at about seven seven thirty, and then I can get home and watch an ale again. Um, so that's that that always works. Uh, that always works nicely. Um, what uh, what about the Wanderers? A bit more, you know, because now now it's it's a real it's a real battle for this second spot, which which seems to be very much a three horse race between Wanderers, Adelaide, and the Mariners. Um, of course, Sydney, uh, not Sydney, City, who who we'll talk about later, winning winning earlier today, um, is. Does anyone here feel like, you know, this second spot is, um, like, absolutely vital, important, you know, like, it, it, you have to get it to, to you know, give yourself this this best chance of the finals, or is it is it maybe a little bit overhyped? Well, considering um, how high you finish on the ladder doesn't affect if you're hosting a grand final or not, um, I hate to bring that argument up, I guess that kind of diminishes where you're finishing on the ladder a little bit, but top two is always a good thing. You get that week yeah. off, you go straight into the semifinals where you do get to play a two-legged game. You're not going off the back of an elimination final where it's just win at all costs. So I guess there is that little bit of, yeah, you know, I want this. Obviously, the grand final decisions put a hit in it, but we've spoken too much about that. So let's not bring that up again, Cody. Um, yeah. yeah, what do you mean? You get to pick your dressing room. Like, that. that that's 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 the, the best prize. Let's, 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 not, let's not do this. <laughs> Please, let's not do this. No, nah, but look, if you ask Adelaide Mariners or Wanderers, they're, they're obviously going to say they want to fight for second spot. You'd be stupid not to. So, of course, it's it's definitely important. Like, we can make jokes about it all we want. They'd be stupid not to fight for it because the last thing you want is to miss out on second spot by a point. Go have a match against Team Cummins 6, which is probably going to be Sydney FC, then pull some miraculous performance better than what they have all season and suddenly you're out when you had a realistic opportunity to have a second chance. So, yeah, of course you are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I also forgot to mention Tommy Michella um got sent off as well uh late late in the uh late in the game. So um yeah, it was actually it was actually ten v ten by the end of it. Also a nice nice moment for McEnough, who's who's had those injury struggles to kind of come up and, and get a big goal as well. So um yeah. Jake Tanner, any any of you guys want to add anything on this one? Well, I, th- I think it'll be very, very tough for them because they have Marcelo out for I think one more week now and now also Merchley out. So that's you know, their their centre back powering that's been killing it all year gone you know so it's gonna be interesting to see obviously they have beadling there i think they have the young guy uh alex bonatig hopefully he'll get a chance but uh yeah i'll be interested to see sort of how they adapt to that because uh yeah it's 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 you know it's getting that sort of tough period of the season you know where you're getting closer and closer to the final getting that second spot like cody was talking about it's, you know gonna be crucial for them you know heading into the into the final and you're talking about a side who is very much built around their defensive solidity, that partnership between Marcelo and Marce- Marcella and Marcelo. So any one of them missing at any time of the season it is, it is an issue for them. I don't Sorry, know Cody, 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 can I, can I, can I just hold you there? Can I just hold you there? Just, oh. just real quickly. Um, because I've just introduced a six person onto this podcast. Um, we've, we've actually just got a six guest. Um, it's unbelievable. when he just crashed the podcast all the way from WA, uh, Matt Olson, who's, who's made the podcast. That's just incredible, absolutely incredible. So, um, Matt, can you can you just quickly introduce yourself because you rudely interrupted Cody, and then and then we'll get back to what Cody was saying. Um, yeah. Uh, oh shit. Okay. Um, <laughs> things have things have been pretty rough in my in, in my life the last uh, like one and a half or so weeks. So yeah, that's why I'm I'm coming in late for a start. So I apologize for that uh, to I guess the listeners. <laughs> And I guess uh, to, especially to Christian as well. So we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that. Um, but yeah, hi guys. Yeah. Okay. So Cody, as you were saying, Matt, yeah, Matt just well, decided he just thought it would be a great idea to to, to come in about twenty minutes into the podcast. So yeah. well, you well you could have waited till I was done. <laughs> no, I just then, felt I just felt when we're when we're when we're you know greeting our guests all the way from WA, we better we better give them a special special welcome. So look, look, fair enough. And Matt does deserve it. Matt is a great Matt is a great guy. But what I was trying to say. I don't know if Marcelo's out for another week. I can't remember how many weeks he was suspended for. It could be back this weekend. He could not be. I might be wrong. And Jake might be right. But anyway, the point is, whether it's one or both, it's still going to create an issue for him. So you're talking about a side that is built on that defensive solidity. Like I said, any one of them missing, anyone missing out of that back line in general is going to cause issues for the Wanderers. 100%. Um, okay, let's, let's move on. Actually, sorry, I should say Matt's here now. So Matt, we were just talking about the uh, about the Perth Wanderers game um, and and Perth getting the win. Can you talk, I guess, a little bit from a uh, from a Perth perspective around how uh, important that uh, that win is? Yeah, so obviously I've um, I've, I've not just uh, got the Perth perspective on it because I did speak to to Marco Rudan yeah. post game, but um, yeah, I mean, where, where to begin? Really, um, everything went really really well um, from what what the club was expecting the the home return to be. Um, you know, a, a healthier crowd. I mean, I know that, that look, we shouldn't look at 7K as, as as a healthy crowd in the A-League, but it was healthier than, than what, honestly, a lot of people um, in the Glory community have been um, expecting. And, um, you know, for the, for the game to, to pan out like it did, I think you could very much just tell that the Wanderers were having bad luck. And, um, you know, Glory found what they needed to, to capitalise on um, said opportunity. And, I mean, you know, the, the immediate word from... From Ruben thereafter. I mean, I, I've I've not seen him that happy, and he was talking about it being the sec one, one of one of two games where he's felt that that luck has really turned for him, and it's and it's an inexplicable situation that you just have to leave and 
just you know keep a smile on your face you, you're not you're not you're not really gonna gonna complain with with one like that so yeah really really happy spirits and um you know it's it's high time that the team maybe got some good fortune um although the the you know the results that have been coming i mean it, it's frustrating because you know you look at you look at the last few weeks and what have been going on it's just this whole D-Day thing of like that they're, they're winning at home and they're doing what they need to do at home. Are they going to win the away games? The two away games that they played from the conversation that I had with Ruben, Ruben you know, before those two games, it was, you know, we just have to keep playing to our strengths. And I mean, they did, they took two one nil leads, but they lost, they lost both games. And um, the bounce back from that is really important. So the fact that, that the luck actually turned in their favor. Yeah. That was probably um, the main takeaway. Yeah. Okay, um, let's move on then, and uh, we'll talk about uh, Saturday's game. So uh, the Mariners um, with a with a huge win uh, against MacArthur, who just nothing seems to be going right uh, for for the for the poor old Bulls at the moment. Um, so four one is how it finished up in Mudgee as well um, with the Mariners. Yeah, playing playing a game out there, which is great to see, of course, uh, for the local community. Um, what's What's your take on this game? Because MacArthur took the lead early, and then they just they just they just collapsed um, as well. Jason Romero got a game, which was which was interesting to see uh, as well. Christian Theoharis um, starting a game, and and this is what happens when you when you play Christian Theoharis because he's an absolute baller. Um, so yeah, Jack, what um what uh yeah, what were your thoughts on this game? Well, it's a pretty important win for the Mariners because they were in some you know bit of shoddy form over the last two three weeks. Uh, haven't been able to string a lot of good results together. And they did it quite emphatically in that second half. Uh, I watched this one, took this one in, and the first 45 minutes were actually contentious. MacArthur was stringing some good balls together. Daniel Arzani had a really good first half and one of the better halves he's played probably in 2023 since the turn of the new year, um, since those really promising first couple of games of the season. And then uh, just at halftime, that team chat must have been as good as gold because the, the team that came after the second half at Central Coast Mariners was ruthless and just absolutely picked uh, MacArthur apart. Uh, MacArthur did get a little bit of, I suppose, uh, space during the latter stages of the match, but after you, you ship three goals in the in the space of, what, was it 20 minutes? Maybe even less than that? Uh, th- there's really no coming back. And, you know, out at Mudgee, it's good to see football getting all the way out there. Uh, it's not the biggest footballing town in the regions, but it's always good to expand the game. And it looks like a lot of the travelling support and the supporters that may live in Munji had a great time. Yeah, well, uh, to your Arzani point, this is a tweet from Aussie Scout. Um, and Arzani, no A-League player, well, this was this was tweeted yesterday uh, during the game. So no A-League player has created more big chances this season than Arzani, who's created nine. Now, I don't know if that's changed Um from from today's games but yeah so he's he's it's clear that you know he he can still obviously add something and it's a pivotal part to this MacArthur team and it just begs belief why he doesn't get more minutes why he's been in Mm. and out you know obviously there's some bigger problems happening at MacArthur I mean it's a little bit of a dumpster fire the way that Dwight York walked out of the club the comments that were made I mean we've all seen all the memes of him being a pub team and when you go and put out performances like that especially in the first half when you're playing some really decent football mm. um it it just sort of screams that there's some really structural problems happening in that club and it really needs to be addressed because you know at the end of the day whilst MacArthur might not just be the biggest club in the A-League and some A-League fans might beg belief why they're even still in around the competition they're going to be this dysfunctional 
you still got people's jobs on the line and stuff, and you've got a promising coach um, that's come through the MPL system in Sydney. And it just looks like that from a boardroom level, this sort of toxic uh, runoff is going straight through to the team and it's resulting in these really sort of good periods and they just lose confidence as soon as a goal goes in the back of the net and they can't pick their heads back up. Danny, it's an important important point to talk about. Yeah, yeah, Cody, yeah. It's an important point to talk about what's happened in the boardroom as well because you're talking about a club who their first season they were getting... I won't say great support, but generally decent support. It looked like there was a foundation there that could grow instead of kind of shrivel as it has. There's you can't deny that the, that there is a very talented squad on paper at the very least. You've got, like Jack said, a promising manager. You're in a region where there is it is a growing population, and on top of that, there is a strong football community in that area. If the wrong decisions are being made at the very top. It's. I don't think people realize how easy it is for that to kind of filter down throughout the rest of the club because it, it's it's the same in any kind of employment environment that you, we could relate this to any of our jobs as well. If you're in a job where the people above you aren't good, you're not you're not going to be in position to work at your best. That's somehow managed to filter down to the player group. And usually, when we talk about that, we talk about the coaching stuff. But it's not even the coaching stuff. It's the people above the coaching staff in this regard. It's a very, very weird situation, but sadly one that's probably not uncommon in football. So, yeah, there's definitely... Mm-hmm. I, I feel for MacArthur, I feel for their fans. And I say fans, I'm not going to be a... Um, I'm not going to have a go at them and say fan or something stupid like that. There's a good community of fans that are back mm-hmm. in that club. Whether they're small or large in size, there's definitely a lot of passion in them. And I'll be honest, they deserve better than what they're getting at the moment. Not necessarily from the players, but from the people generally running the club. Can we just because when I saw this result as well, because I wasn't able to catch this game, but the like, what even is MacArthur's season now? <laughs> like, is you know, like, are they? It's very topsy turvy in a way. Yeah, the, like, the vibes scream like bottom two, but they still meander in this seventh and eighth spot, almost on the precipice of cracking the top six, and we've discussed at length. The abhorrent mediocrity behind Melbourne, Melbourne City, and probably Adelaide United in the entire competition, but it's it's seems like it's aimless. But they're still in that position. It's actually a little bit comical that with so much dysfunction, they've been able to sit in that part of the ladder. It, it really does scream. You get in the spoon, and you know, sort your shit. <laughs> like, but they're just still there. Uh, honestly, it's it, like I said, I feel for the players, I feel for the fans. There's always games where it, it's hard to say, like, like you said, there's games where they look like they're generally a wooden spoon team, but then they have those games, and that's the reason why they're staying in the mix of that top six because you just, they'll just come out maybe once every three weeks and suddenly they look like, oh, we're going to push, we look like a top two side. It's the, there's a reason why they won the Australia Cup, whether they got an easy run or not. They did look good, but. I don't know. It's just the inconsistency. It kills me. Um. So, you know, th- there's there's one thing that we really need to actually discuss with, with MacArthur. And I, I think that to bring this up now, you know, this is probably sort of postseason podcast type areas. Mm-hmm. Um, but the leadership structure at the club and the things that I've heard going on uh, I'm at the club, you know, they made a mid-season appointment of Jacob Burns as the assistant coach. 
And um, Jacob Burns obviously was a director at Perth for a long time, was club captain at Perth for a long time. And that that appointment, I think, was one that was was brought about simply because there's a lot of trust issues and, and a lot of, of leadership problems that have, have been at the club since day one and people are already being in and out of the door, which, you know, there was, there was never actually that consistency, right? Another thing is, you know, who's the senior manager right now, right? It's someone in Mila Stajowski that very clearly should be an interim manager and that's obviously what he's there to do, but it just means that there's no sense of direction or no leadership at the club and there hasn't actually been for a long while now. You talk about their entire history, if you go back as far as their formation in 2017 as a bid, they've actually never had their shit together. Um, you know, MacArthur was brought about because there was a Southwest Sydney bid and a bid for sort of the wider region. They sort of merged together. And as a result of them merging together, the leadership was already broken. The ownership was already questionable. They had a property developer who joined the club and then properly left straight away. Similar things sort of happened with Western United, but Western United, when they got a championship, they were able to steady the ship, even though they still obviously have a lot of administrative issues. So you know, like, does the root of this actually go as far back as David Gallup making the decision to expand in 2017? And I'm being serious. It's it's worth asking the question because everything at the club is fundamentally broken and where's the way forward? We're not, like, none of us know. So so we can sit here and have this conversation, but, like, there's a far bigger problem going on and, and we need to touch on it, but not, not, not in a show like this. But no, you know, not it's interesting because they went before they even kicked a ball. They went through three general managers just at a board level. So what you're saying is exactly correct. If from the early days you're seeing issues like this, where have they, what have they done since to rectify and steady the ship? Yeah. Well, what, what's incredible is that they're still three points off off sixth um, because because Sydney lost today. Now it seems like, and we'll get to this later, but this this top five is becoming a bit more um bit more. Um, you know, separated from the rest. Um, and this was something I mentioned uh, a few weeks ago that it seems like there's going to be this kind of fourteen fight for six, which is which is pretty odd, uh, for for one spot. But yeah, I mean, all all valid points. Um, and and Matt, as Matt said, you know that that's really for a whole other kind of you know podcast or a whole other conversation around around the expansion kind of side and and what's going on there. Um, Jake Tanner, anything anything else to add on on this result for for the Mariners because it felt like they were on a bit of a slide and then everyone's kind of, you know, what's going on with the Mariners? They started so well, you know, they're scoring all these goals and then they kind of hit this bad run. And now they, it's a bit of a statement from them, I feel. Yeah, no, it was absolutely a huge result for them. And it was fantastic to see, like, I think we saw there was a lot of uncertainty in their defense, especially, you know, with Farrell dropping, uh, Caltech obviously still being out. So we saw Holland, uh, what is his name? Windust come yep. in there. And I thought first a bit shaky, but, to be fair, you know, like they end up only conceding one goal in the end, you know. And, uh, I think after that sort of half time, they, you know, MacArthur didn't really create that much, like to be honest. So, you know, good on them. Uh, you know, hopefully they can keep their spots in there. And yeah, they've got next week, they've got who have they got? Oh, they've got the victory. So, uh, yes, yeah, so they'll be, you know, probably an even worse attack at the moment than uh, MacArthur. So, probably another clean sheet for them. But uh, anyway, don't have to get into that beer. Uh, yeah, that's, um, I'm not saving probably time on my calendar to watch that game uh if i'm being totally honest um so yeah so i'm I'm not avoiding that unfortunately yeah yeah okay uh let's move along then um yeah the jets and adelaide now this was that was this was one of those games where it's kind of like uh you know newcastle and adelaide on a saturday night like that's the game for the saturday night and then um all of a sudden it's like Okay, this game's great. Um, about twenty minutes in, I mean, this was a fantastic game. Seriously, uh, both teams were just kind of like, um, yeah, both teams were kind of 
just went, you know, we're just not going to defend today. Um, and uh, yeah, let's just attack and score yeah. goals. And uh, yeah, let's see what happens. So really good game. Craig Goodwin scored um, another gem on his left foot because that's just what he does on a, on a regular basis. Um, of course, Nesta Rikunda, who Jake and Matt, we spoke about last week, who just, you know, basically is, is, is probably the top five most impactful players in the league, even though he just doesn't start games, which is, which is, it's pretty funny at this point. Um, I, I actually find it somewhat amusing, <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and then Newcastle, I mean, Newcastle did all right. I think, you know, that from an attacking standpoint, you can see that they can score goals. But um, yeah, defensively, yeah, nah. Uh, <laughs> Newcastle, yeah, yeah, let, yeah, let's just nah's put it that way. The call. Yeah, nah's the call. Let's just, like, leave it at that, maybe? Nah. Um, Newcastle's defense, like, is shocking. It, I'm pretty, I don't, I don't know if this is actually true, but I'm pretty sure on goals conceded, like, it is right down the bottom. I'm pretty sure they have one of the worst records defensively, if not the worst in the competition. And it shows in games like this, they come up against genuine, like, top draw competition. Mm -hmm. But then, like, as Joey Lynch said on Twitter, can this game calm the F down? Because I went from, like, crying genuine tears out of my eyes whilst cooking a sausage on the barbecue because that seems like a great thing to do on a Saturday night. And then Jason Hoffman pops up with a goal. And as a Brown Nova Cash team, whenever Jason Hoffman scored, that's um, cause for celebration. So I just ran around the house a little bit. And then uh, by the 65th minute in the second half, when I saw Nestor Aaron Kunda start running in behind, I was like, ah, this is this is fine. You know that little meme where the dog's standing outside of the burning house? That's what, like, I think any defense is like right now when Nestor finds any space in mind that is like, oh, yeah, it's, something's about to collapse. I and think that's any defense <laughs> when they just see Nestor and Kundo on the pitch, to be fair, at this point. Like, the kid is ridiculous. The kid is inevitable. Yeah. He, he, that's a, great, it's a, it's a great word to describe Nestor. Yeah. <laughs> Which one? Inevitable? Inevitable. Inevitable. Inev yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. Like, you, you give the kid the ball, he's going to do something with it. it. Like, look, he only got one goal on. And I'll say only one goal. Like, come on, that's what, that's the areas we're hitting with this kid. And the fact is, he's still 17. He's still a kid. He only just turned 17. This this man is a national treasure, and he can't even buy a drink yet. This is the areas that we're hitting right now. And look, I know I'm fairly young, but I don't think I have seen a better talent come through the A-League than this kid. So, so he's better than Qual? Is he better oh, than Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, let's not do it. Let's not do it. No, 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 no. Jack, <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the reason why I hate that chat is it's not like we're talking about how's um, Kuala or Kunda compared to like the next um, Japanese superstar coming out of the J-League. The reality is whether Kuala or Kunda is better, I don't care because that is our wing partnership for the 2026, 2030, 2034 World Cups. Like that is special and I'd rather celebrate that. That is what I want to focus on. Christian. I have a is that, question is that for with, you. Is that with Gabriel Popovich as the central striker as well? Or? No. No. And we'll get onto that later. Don't make okay. me mad. Under 20s comes later. Come on. Yeah, yeah, I know it comes later, but I just felt like that was that was just like a prime situation to make a joke anyway, like that. Christian, anyway, I have, I, have, yeah. I have a question for you, and I'm going to move away yeah. from Eric Kunda for a bit. I okay. do love talking about him, but I want to talk about someone else. And mm -hmm. look, you're a proud Adelaide man. Adelaide is a great city, and they have a great man representing the city in Craig Goodwin. He's probably not going to go there, but I'd love to just get your thought on this. Mm -hmm. Do you think he could do a job in the top five leagues in the world? I saw I saw someone tweet this. I can't remember who it was off the top of my head. Damn, I know. That's why I brought it up. Yeah. Yeah. I saw someone tweet this during the game. Um, 
Look, potentially, potentially. Um, I just don't know. I mean, it's hard to. I know, like, there's, for example, for some a similar example, and Adam O'Neill, who we'll talk about soon because he scored twice today. I know he's been linked with joining uh, Toiz in um in France with with PK. But I, I mean, so that would be the first kind of evidence. I, I can't remember off the top of my head someone who's actually gone directly from the league into a top five league and and been you know successful straight away or or been and feel free guys to jump in and 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 you know. Uh, remind me of anyone that that I've missed, but um, yeah, I, I just it's a hard one to kind of quantify. What I would say about Craig is that I think he really is, and you saw it the way he was talking after the game to um to the to the um the ten football kind of crew or the Paramount crew after the game, and he was saying like, you know how much he like wants to be an example and he wants to lead this team. Like he really takes pride in being the Adelaide United captain and representing the city um and you know representing the state as well i think is is another big thing kind of with him and i think you kind of saw that at the world cup as well i think he actually took a lot of pride in being the sa kind of headline representative as well um and also i just think he's also really comfortable here with his family and stuff so there's also that so in terms of would he move that's a separate thing and and you're asking if he'd actually be successful i honestly don't know that that's such a hard thing to quantify in my opinion if if an a league player would be successful in a top 5 league because we also don't know like there's there's all those mitigating circumstances like for example okay now you're going into an environment where you've basically got to perform every week. There's, there's there's a fear of relegation every week, for example, and things like that. How does that change the way a player, you know, uh, approaches games and, and performs? Um, now, I know that doesn't answer your question. No, but look, um, I think if there's yeah. two things that I could say on the topic. One, he made France's back line look silly. They made a World Cup final. I think that says mm-hmm. something in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually forgot the second thing that I was going to say, so I'll just I'll leave it at that one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Right, um, but you know, but that's a really good point you actually make about the about the World Cup, which I've actually completely glossed over, and, and the fact that he actually you know was did very well against against um, France, which is you know made up of world class defenders. So from that perspective, yeah. Um, Look, I've called Craig Goodwin world class on a pod before, and I know I got laughed at at the time, but I yeah, well, well, I still, I still, I still don't agree with. That's right, you were the one that laughed at me. Yeah, I did, I did, and I still would laugh at you again. So, um, yeah, well, well, classes. That's that's overstating it big time. Um, but I, t- I tell you what, might be world class is left foot. Um, that 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 thing might be world class. Great to see Zach Clough get a goal as well. That was actually a really nice second goal that Adelaide scored. I think Louis Dorigo, if I could just say something as well, is kind of finding his role a little bit more now in the team, a little bit more advanced in that midfield. He's starting to get it a little bit. And we should mention Luka Ivanovic. And Tonis is not here tonight. Otherwise, he would be he would be riding that wave big time on the podcast. But he's come up from the youth team. Uh, he's been scoring a hatful of goals uh, in the NPL and uh, comes in and and does a job. And uh, it's kind of Matt. You you've kind of touched on this point. Adelaide's got this like great ability for for youngsters to kind of just come in and and you know make an impact straight away. And I mean, Luca's just like another one who's just who's just come in and, and done that. Did you want me to actually comment on that further? No, or? well, well, it's it's really up to you. I was just, I, I mean, just it, yeah. Look, you, from from an outsider's perspective, it, yeah. the South Australian Academy system has been the best in Australia for some time. Um, and I know Christian, you're probably at the point where you're so well acquainted with it. You almost certainly disagree. And fair, fair enough. No, but you know I what it is. That... We probably we put, sorry. I'll, I'll just if I can say something. It's probably that people in Adelaide probably become so used to it that we don't appreciate it in the same way that someone outside the state probably would. There's probably yeah. that too. Yeah. yeah, I think if you look historically at Adelaide United and uh, the Mariners, I mean, can you even think of a time where there was another club that wasn't sort of producing these 15, 16 year olds and giving them senior minutes? I mean, both clubs have really made it a cornerstone of their ideology. And and just on that, how refreshing is it to see? 
A-League clubs with an out-and-out ideology, tactically, but but also just culturally as well, is that they're the club with the kids. And and again, you know, not, not to play the race card too much, but obviously it is a very strong African-Australian community that are producing a lot of these players. And that, that's even more inspirited within within these two clubs. So, you know, it's it's actually something that's very important and something that, you know, we need to be having a conversation around because, you know, we've okay, look, I'm not I shouldn't have this conversation yet. I know obviously we have other things on the agenda, but there's a reason why at the international level we're improving more and more and these youth teams are getting better and better. And I think it's because of the work that's being done by Adelaide and the Mariners. It's a conversation for another day more in depth or at least within uh, the next, you know, 20 or so minutes. But, yeah, yep. it's, uh, it's food for thought. Yeah, no, absolutely. And Adelaide now um, are kind of, yeah, they're, they're in the box seat now to finish second, um, but there's still plenty of there's still plenty of games to go. Of course, they are three points, though. They are three points clear of both the Mariners and Wanderers. And Wellington, who we'll talk about now, um, and they, yeah, picked up that 1-0 win earlier today against Sydney FC. Oscar Zawada might be... No, I'm not going to call him signing of the season, but he's got to be. He's got to be in the top three, yeah. Oh, you'd put him up there. I couldn't think off the top of my head who it would be exactly, but you can't, you can't discredit the guy. He's been the colossal for Wellington Phoenix, so yeah, you'd be a shout for it. Maybe you're going to put someone like Barisha or Vanderven is doing wonders in Melbourne City, but Zawada to get the goal return he has when. In reality, when people were looking at him when he first signed, they were like, who the hell is this guy? He's barely scored five or six goals a season in Poland. Mm. For him to come to Australia and work wonders, that's a definitely a shrewd piece of business from Talay. Yeah, uh, yeah, well, Wellington's recruitment in general is is even even like I was watching because again I didn't I wasn't able to watch this game, but like watching the highlights back, like even Jan Sass is kind of like he's having moments now, like you know what I mean for Wellington. He kind of he kind of comes in and he looks all right now, uh, and after being like a bit of a who the hell's like what the hell is this guy doing at the start of the season? Jan Sass, I remember before the season started. Obviously, I like to do my due diligence on who's joining the league. I remember watching just a highlights video of this guy. It wasn't even like a full thing of his career. It was like one season while I was playing. It was probably like the second division of Brazil or anything. And I was just watching it, you know, the way he was moving. The, the guy could play. And he just had this flair about him that was beautiful to watch just in that YouTube compilation. And I was like, oh, yeah, this guy's going to set the league alight. And then he came and he started. And I was like, oh, that was taken very badly out of context. But he's kind of slowly risen to that point. And it's like, okay, yeah. Okay, this guy's actually starting to come good. He actually he was as good as what I saw of him. I think that um, Wellington's foreign recruitment has probably been the strongest throughout the entire competition. I think that's fair to say. I think that all of their foreign signings, three of them I, that I can recall, there's Suada, there's Sass, and there's Kryev, have all played tremendously. And they've all been sort of these, I don't know, electric... Scott, Scott Wooden's been solid front. as well. Scott Wooden. Yeah, yeah. Wooden's been solid there. And, like, you could football in that conversation as well he's he's had some good spots but those three Jan Sars had a difficult start to the season but so did Kryev and Vada and now the second half of the season's come along and because the the table's so tight their their talents are really coming to show and getting I think far more praise than than in previous seasons if they had done the same thing because I think that's just the virtue of a competition being so close and also they're almost knocking on the door of second place as well. You have, what is it, three teams under Adelaide United on 31 points now. So when you have foreign signings like that in your arsenal, you can definitely push on the door of that top two. 
And there's certainly an exciting month and a half of football to come or or thereabouts because mm. there's going to be a lot of six-pointers in and around that top six and who are pushing on the periphery. And those sort of signings, um, you know, that you make, those foreign signings, those ones that gen probably cost a little bit more money to get someone locally to come play for you, those are the ones that make the difference in the end. Well, I think what's going to be important for Wellington now is can they get, you know, obviously everyone wants to get second, but even third or fourth and to get a home uh, elimination final is, is obviously huge for them um, too. So they'll look at that. Sydney FC are now in a weird scenario where they basically just have to hold on to sixth. Um, that's that's kind of how I see I mean, I just don't think they're consistent enough to get enough wins to, to you know, push, push for top four or anything like that. Um, and I don't know... I just don't know if, like, what's what does that mean for Sydney? I mean, they're just going to be they're just going to be six, and kind of then they'll go and probably play. They could even we could even have a Sydney Derby elimination final, which would be incredible if that if that you know if the stars align for that. Um, but Sydney are just having a really kind of they just have not been able to get any sort of consistent form going. Can we actually ever recall like a massive up and down season? that Sydney have ever had like this. It's been bizarre. Like, they knocked off, like, victory, like, last week and, like, full full play to them. They, they did really well. But then they lose, like, to Phoenix. And, oh, man, they're just so up and down. You just don't know what Sydney are going to get each week. It's absolutely bizarre. So, something sees, something sees in my head that they're going to miss out on the sticks just some way. That, that form's just going to finally come and they're just left it too late, I reckon. And you have That's to understand how big of a deal this result was for them, right? Because, Christian, you mentioned that sort of top five dynamic. Like, I, I'd go as far as to say that the top six is almost kind of closed off, but Sydney are the bridge to that. And as Turner says, their season's just had this bizarre narrative to it, mm. on and off, on and off, on and off. It means that, to, that you know, the, the top six probably won't be closed off. But for me, yeah, it's it's the main takeaway from this game. From a Wellington perspective, never mind the fact that their women pulled off an incredible upset, can't wait to talk about that on front we, page. We will touch on that. We will Brody. touch on that. Yeah, yep. yeah. But um, you know, what I mean, what a day it was for the Phoenix, right? They pull off, they pull off those two results against Sydney, and they just about sort of bridge that gap so far to certain teams that you know they're they're looking pretty safe for an elimination final. Again, um, I'm going to go broader picture because you know it's what I love to do. I think that this will be their last season having that kind of surprise glimmer and shine under under Ufuk Tale. And I've theorized a lot about that. And I'm wondering if it's also why Ollie Sales already announced that he's leaving the club. But yeah, let's not let's not take away from the fact that they are now going to be pretty much playing elimination finals. And it's put Sydney in a very sticky situation with all those clubs just behind. So a very landmark game for that reason and one that um you know this morning uh, a lot of people would have been very happy to see that result come through. Yeah well is there any Anyone got some thoughts on that? Because, I mean, Oli Sale's obviously leaving now for, for Perth Glory, and then it looks like uh, Stephen Yagarkovic and, and Clayton Lewis are also going to be going to be exiting. Like, is there anything to look into that in terms of how I Wellington... Think, are, I think yeah. Uffy's going to leave at the end of the season. It's the only logical explanation He didn't get the all-whites job. He didn't get the all-whites job, so I'm almost certain he's off. It's, it's the only explanation I can think of. Like, if you look at... Atale is a very good manager, and by the looks of things, the players do enjoy playing under him. They're doing well. It looks like they've got a decent culture around the club. They're bringing in good internationals. Why else would these players be wanting to leave? Yeah, exactly. Like, they're, they're consistently they're... in the finals. They're consistently exactly. in the finals, and they pretty yeah. much have been for four years, right? So why is there a mass exodus? Someone somewhere in that club has said something or signaled towards something. 
Now, it's again, it's very easy to point the finger because we know the old white situation has been very ugly. And I'm sorry that I bring it up as like the number one thing that's going on in the club because it's not. It's not. I just think that I just think that it's um, it's it's very crucial to point towards that as being being a reason as to why the players would just randomly up and leave. And and to me, given Sydney's situation, is also aligning with Wellington. Would you would you not say that this sort of points towards Ulfie being the next Sydney FC manager? Like, is it is it that obvious to make the connection? Be interesting. Yeah. That's Look, bold. Yeah. That's bold. Mm. But I'll 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 allow it. I'll allow it. I was, I was kind of rooting for Dwight York. <laughs> You'll allow the it. He looked right. like he, uh, he was he was bringing a sense of professionalism in the clubs. I would have loved to see Dwight York at Sydney FC. Seems like a match made in heaven. But look, Ulfie, I don't think he can deny his record. He's a fantastic manager. Oh yeah, he deserves a really big club to manage. I mean, the results speak for itself. Is that for Wellington Phoenix, though? Oh yeah, sort of disrespecting a whole nation. <laughs> I was going to say, like, well, look, he's done a. And this one thing I've said before, and that I really respect about him, he went to Wellington Phoenix after Rudin kind of upped and left the moment an Australian club came calling. And if he said, "I'm not here as a stepping stone. I genuinely want to make something at this club," mm. and look, he stuck to his guns. He did it, and. Full respect it, to him it for got it. to the point where he he took them to their best ever finish in 1920, and it got to the point where he was in the running to be national team boss. That's how much he cared. That's how much he delivered for the club. So, like full credit. But yeah, the exodus out of nowhere just—it's a big red flag for me. And and Sydney are on the other end of that. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> well, Sydney's to, it's Sydney's the game, I guess. But does everyone think Corriga? This is this is this will be over at the end of the season. I reckon yeah. if if he makes finals, there might be a sneaky suspicion where it's like, yeah, we'll just give him another go. We'll give him another try. Mm. But I can't think of many Sydney FC fans that want that. Mm. When did, it's, when it's did a Graham very Arnold weird situation. The club. Hold on, boys. When did Graham Arnold join the club? 14, 15? Yes. I think so. Yes. You're talking about an extension of that mindset for an entire decade, essentially, right? I think I think just, just move on, maybe go to something else. Now, the point to that is, well, hold on. Tale ended up in the A-League because he was Corica's assistant. So are they just are they just continuing it? Maybe they're continuing it. Maybe they're getting away from it. Um <laughs> I think actually that's 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 more the point, is that you want you want a results-based um, you know, figurehead. And Ulfie's been able to produce more of it. So maybe he comes from the, the Graham Arnold School of Coaching or the Stephen Corica School of Coaching, whichever way you prefer. But they Stephen Corica School of Coaching. Mm, don't know about that. I don't know how you can market that, to be honest. What you're no, gonna play like? Can I can I please yeah, finish a my point? Four, four, two, <laughs> you know, just, just pass it around the, the back, cross the, it in every the, so often. The whole point is is something fresh, right? And Ulfie delivers it. So mm. yeah, I I'm just I'm I'm too overcautious of of the fact that that's staring me in the face, and I want to acknowledge it in some way. Okay. Um. What else is um, staring us in the face, I think, is Aiden O'Neill and his quality. And he scored twice to to give Melbourne City a 2-1 win over the Brisbane Roar. Um, now, for the life of me, I have no idea how Brisbane Roar actually scored a goal in this game. I don't know if you guys were able to watch this game. Um, but, yeah, that was uh, that was just a kind of another run-of-the-mill, dire Brisbane Roar performance, which, which me and Matt discussed on the pod before. Um, and, yeah... It, I don't know how they were literally five minutes away from getting a point out of that. And Melbourne City, I mean, it kind of an important important result for them um, because had they not won that game, that would have been, I think, one win in four. Um, uh, you know, in, yeah, one win over the last four games. So that's that's not great. Aiden O'Neill, though, like I mentioned, was the headline act. He scores twice. First goal is an absolute uh, banger. Um, and yeah, he, he just looks like he's taking some massive strides forward. 
Uh, yeah, just to follow up on that Brisbane chat, I've got an interesting mm. stat for you. They had their first shot in the whole game in the 79th minute for their penalty. So that kind of shows you mm. how much of a shambles they were. There was, oh my God. Um, I, and I, Nick I, Green managed team, Green, can't yeah. play. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. And the Warren Moon team was like so much more exciting than that, was it? Uh, they pulled <laughs> off results. They what results? What results? Off results? What results? They very clearly were three, eight, and three after, like you know, do the math. Ma- Matt's games. just trying to justify were, him giving them the a B the in the mid-season when they right went now. away to Perth. <laughs> when they went away to Perth, they could have been third in the league. No, nah, Nick Green, boys. No, 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 I'm not saying this. No, no, I'm not saying this <laughs> to defend Nick Green. I totally agree with you. I think whatever, like you know, who cares? But my point is, like you know, I'm not. You just need to put Warren Moon on pedestal, which I just don't really understand, to be brutally honest. Yeah, he gave him a B. That's why he's putting me on the pedestal. It's a B-shaped pedestal, and he's just Jack keep trying to justify it's, it. It's because it's because I made the comments that I made. <laughs> he made the call. Support. He, he made the like, call. And then two months later, Warren Moon was out of a job. Uh, <laughs> geez. Look, look, the conversation, The conversation around this mostly relates to one of two things. One, Warren Moon has actually taking that team to finals football, all right? So there's that. <laughs> secondly, secondly, look, it's it's it, Nick, Nick Green is obviously, you know, forget, forget the whole story and the reason that I hate him. He's, he's obviously there as an interim manager anyway. So the, the conversation is a little bit a little bit glum there. But my point is, if, you, if you're going to be in that position, why sack Moon when you sacked Moon? Why not wait till the end of the season? At, when, at which point, you know, they could have actually got some results back and at least finished like seventh or eighth, right? Yeah, look, I I know what you're saying, but I just look. I'll give you this: Warren Moon. I thought in his first season was, um, yeah, he did a very good job, and I thought they but they played some good football for, for whatever reason. They've just become more and more just kind of, you know, dire as the uh, as the as the yeah as the kind of time went on with with Warren Moon, and they just did not play the same sort of attacking, exciting brand of football, and that kind of frustrated me from from the outside looking in. I understand. I the uh, the mitigating factors uh, for that and and the situation at the club, um, but yeah, just just I didn't think they were really going anywhere. To, to be honest, well, uh, under Warren, look, under they'll, they'll get it. They'll get a, a refresh a refreshment on all of this in what seven mm. or eight weeks anyway. Mm. So that that is what it is. Just in terms of the football that they're playing now, I mean, if you're if you're someone like a Carlo Armiento who's had this really good start to the season and, and has had time time to branch out, um, you know, you're you're, you're not exactly getting the full extent of your game and taking your game somewhere that it can go under the current system. So it would have been better from a player development reason, especially for someone of Carlo's age, to have just stayed well, on I don't the like Carlo being position. on the bench today. I know Jess Lofthouse is coming and he looked all right, but yeah, uh, that's that's just me all being... Right. Well, to be fair, I, I didn't tune in. And the fact that I picked a player out and he happened to be on the bench, that's just completely coincidental. I, I yes, really was not able to watch the game. But there I you mean, go. look, they, to be fair, they do have something there with Henry Hoare, Jazz Lofthouse, Kyle Amiata. It's like, oh, look at Yeah, exactly. Wingers, but, so, yeah. But, but but this is it. Like, the, the player development has just been totally halted by this random interim period for mm. the next, you know, eight or nine weeks or whatever yeah. it ends up being in total. Yeah, so from that fair. perspective, I really don't like it. And again, you know, Moon was someone that came from the MPL system. Another reason why I really, really like him and will defend him at all costs compared to Nick Green. Sorry, who? Where's he from? Where's his background? Oh, yeah, right. This is like you have to understand. This is like the 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 prime Matt Olson like trigger point is like mention Nick Green's name and it's just like bang, like just instant reaction. Anyway, Tanner, you wanted to you wanted to mention something about this game. <laughs> well, I was just uh, thinking in my head, just going back to um, 
the results when you said, you know, what results did Warren Moon get? And I was going to chime in and said, oh, they probably bet fucking Victor, who knows? And just checked it. Sure enough. Sure enough, they did. <laughs> that was all. <laughs> so you got that one. <laughs> they did indeed. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, actually, let, let's get into that, Tanner, um, because you can lead this one. Um, because tomorrow we've got, uh, or today, by the time this podcast goes up, uh, we've got victory taking on Western United. Weston, I mean, Matt mentioned before that he reckons the top six kind of race is done. And I know his opinions on this, that he <laughs> he does definitely not think Weston United are going to be a finals team. But if they do win tomorrow, they, they will close the gap to Sydney to two points. Um, And I mean, they're playing probably the most, you know, uh, the, the poorest side in the league at the moment, Mel Victory, who who you just don't know what you're going to get uh, week to week as well. Um, Start off, give us a little bit of an insight into this game. What are you thinking? You know, it's it's hard because you hold on to hope that we just might still make the sixth, even if we are bottom, because you still look at it how it's mathematically possible. That's the shambles of being a victory supporter at the moment. Um, oh, it's always a big game against uh, West United. West United obviously just have a bit more to um to play for at the minute. I want to see us um experiment a bit further though. I want to see um our new uh, South American signing uh, get a run. A bit over seeing him on the bench. This is a must win for us always, but um. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. West United are still uh, in pretty good form, even if they uh, have dropped a couple of results here or there. But, uh, Can I just yeah. uh, ask a question, Tanner? By experimentation, do you mean playing Josh Berlante at right wing back again? One hundred percent, no, <laughs> definitely not. Was that, uh, how long was that experiment? Like two, two games? Long enough, Christian. <laughs> two games long too long. Enough. Two games too long. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, what no, can we see? That- could we see a bit of Bruce Kamau action maybe in this game as well? That might be that might be all right just to just to see him from the start as well. Get a bit of a yeah, run. Yeah, de- de- definitely. I'm really happy that we uh, got him. He's uh, he's good for the depth. We just get, we're just going to try and mix it up. We can't just go with the same starters every time. Like you know, really mix it up with that with that um, bench that we've got. It's, uh, it's just frustrating. Give the youth a go. It's sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So yeah. Like, yeah, maybe even more just of, quickly. Um, yeah, yeah, Matt. Yeah. Um, because you're you're both the Victorian boys. I want to want to post this question to you. If Victory do win the game, right, it poses a really, really interesting dynamic at the bottom of the table there. Do you think it's it's better overall for the league if, if Victory notch the win? And then there's almost this dynamic where Western and, and Victory can sort of fight their way back up together and sort of Take take on um, a few a few of those lesser teams like your Brisbane's and possibly your Perths and um, you know your MacArthur's at the moment. I mean that bottom end of the table is looking quite dire, and, and there must be room there for both Western and Melbourne to really make their way up. Can you see a situation where they're literally finishing seventh and eighth? I think victory looked very very dire. Uh, it's just defensively, uh, victory have improved a lot. Um, you know, like we've sort of talked about last week, the addition of De Silva has been fantastic, but it just looks like. It's almost the season's a write-off, just reset. And then on the flip side for Western United, I do have a little bit more optimism there. I think Noah Bodic has been leading them fantastically. He's, you know, like probably, you know, arguably the deadest team in the league, Western United this year. There've just been no excitement around them. Um, he's actually brought some, you know, hope into the team, some excitement when watching them. So, you know, potentially there, but personally, I don't see victory really, you know, doing it. Maybe that's because I'm a bit pessimistic, but yeah, I'd like to hear what uh, Tanner thinks. I'm just looking at our run to start after this game. We've got what the Mariners at home, and then we've got an away trip to Wellington. So, yeah, we really need to stacking some wins under the belt, or it's it's bye bye. 
Uh, but I'm, I'm Popovich out already. I'm sick of it. Uh, he, yes, he may be the he may be the to turn everything <laughs> around. But like honestly, I'm just I'm just done. It's just so frustrating now. This victory is the biggest club in Australia, and we have just sunk to the, how the season was before last year. It's it's so disappointing. I would throw sound off, but I'm not going to. <laughs> That's exactly why. Well, oh, you, oh you, it's okay, uh, man. Just. Charming. Okay, all right. There's a lot going on in my brain department. <laughs> I, think I'm, I think I'm broken. Fuck. <laughs> um, <laughs> look, just uh, the one thing I would say to it is, you know, the one thing you understand about Tony Popovich teams is is the defensive side and the discipline. And a lot of that is the reason why he sort of needs to stay at the club because he was there to sort of get them up out of that rough patch. The only reason the rough patch really came in this season was mostly because the squad couldn't stay together. You look at Popovich sides of the past where they were able to succeed. I think there was a lot of parity there. But bearing in mind that, and it's a clear example, the team was built around around Nani, right? And he, and he was he was gone. He was off. And then that's when the experimentation started immediately with, you know, who, who are we going to have as the more attacking presence and who, you know, is better suited to more experimental positions, which is why don't right I put my central midfielder at right wing back? Yeah. Yeah. But, the, but that's exactly why it started happening. Right. He, he just felt the need that he needed to tinker. And lo, lo and behold, the, the empire that he envisioned had sort of fallen apart. Right. Let's, let's not beat around the bush here, Tanner. Come on. He took a team that was done for and got them into a semi-final last season. You can't look at it in isolation and say, you know, it was a one-season wonder because it was sort of building up to a climax where there was going to be more to come. And then, you know, that climax was the part that kind of fell apart. It's not the entire club that's broken. I think the club actually actually done a lot to stabilise where they are. Although, you know, we know what's happening off-field mm, <laughs> as, mm, as mm. well. But I, I think that, you know, sacking the coach is just not the answer. There's there's too much mm. going on there and there's too, too big of a conversation to be having. I just don't, don't think... It, you need to be looking at it from the results. I think you, the the whole picture needs to, to come into a statement like that. Yeah, no, that, that's absolutely fair enough, man. I I really do agree with that as well. It's it's just frustrating, just like results wise, regardless. But um, I mean, you're absolutely right about Popovich. Yeah, he really did our transform around the squad, and we had Nani, and now he's out for the season. So it, it has been tough, but I guess uh, time will tell. So I hope you're right. Wait, so so Tanner, the dream big. Melbourne Victory documentary didn't do anything to change your uh, perceptions of Tony Popovich? Oh, I mean, I loved that uh, documentary regardless, <laughs> regardless. Um, especially his uh, his rant uh, before the Sydney game when he you know, said he'd do anything for the players and for the family and I was all just that. about to bring love, that up, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I love that drive. <laughs> with, the new, so, yeah. with the new owners, Tanner, will you make sure that your next flight out of Melbourne is a Bonza flight? <laughs> oh, yes, definitely. I'll sponsor the boys. <laughs> uh ah, boy um so um let's see let's see if they stick around with uh with tony popovich um i guess beyond this season i can't see them making making a change uh from now from now to the end of the season um but in terms of this game tomorrow like i mentioned west united are 10th they've got a game in hand if they win that um that, of course which is the game tomorrow if they win that game then they will go up all the way to seventh just two points behind sydney and six if victory win it um, then they just leapfrog Brisbane into 11th. Um, and they've still got the, of course, the, uh, the Derby to be, I guess, restarted from the, uh, 22nd minute. Um, and not, not replayed is, yeah, uh, probably not the right terminology, but yeah. Um, so victory for me that they're, they're done in terms of the finals hopes. In, in my opinion, I can't see it. Um, Western, they've, they've still got a, a glimmer of hope. So should be interesting. Like we said, 
Melbourne City uh, back out to a six-point lead um, with a game in hand. Um, and then you've got Adelaide now outright in second with 34 points. Mariners, Wanderers, Phoenix, all on 31 in third, fourth, and fifth. Sydney holding that sixth spot with 27th point, 27 points. Sorry, Newcastle, MacArthur, both on 24 points, seventh and eighth. Perth now uh, with 23 points in ninth. Uh, as we said, Western in 10th, Brisbane uh, in 11th and victory at the foot of the table. Um, so so are we are we all in kind of, anyone think Sydney could drop out of the top six? Yeah, look, I want to see victory win this game purely because I want to see a sort of bottom six where we can still have that fight for sixth with Sydney mm-hmm. going on and the intrigue around sort of the wooden spoon, you know, battle for, for the wooden spoon going on. Um, you know, not I'm not I'm not doing that thing where I vehemently defend something I said in the past regarding Western United. That's not the reason I want them to lose, and I promise it's not. I just think that that would actually become quite a tantalising battle for avoiding the bottom of the table um, with many many different clubs in many many different scenarios. Brisbane down the dumps, you know, victory. Are they on the way back or are they down in the dumps? MacArthur are down in the dumps. You know, Glory still have this overlying issue of of is there something going wrong with the management or is there not? There's a lot at play there. And like Sydney's weird season that you throw in, it's actually been quite like in terms of overriding narratives for all these clubs. Has it not been one of the more memorable seasons in that regard? Yeah, yeah. They, they, it's just been, I mean, everyone's just been so inconsistent that, um, you know, you can even make an argument, to be honest, that like it's just even Adelaide, look, they've been, they've been good. Yeah, okay. But... Um, I mean, they've won nine of their twenty games. They haven't even won fifty percent I mean, of their I games. Mean, yeah, like you yeah. know what I mean. Like it's yeah. it's yeah. I mean, I, I know what you mean from a results basis, but I'm not I'm not necessarily talking about the results as much as yeah. I am like why in a twelve team league do we have like eight clubs that are in a transition period? You know, yeah. you know what yeah. I mean. No, like, no, that's a, it's a great point. It's a great point. It <laughs> really is. Going back on that point though, mm. you're saying in Adelaide a second they haven't won fifty percent of their games. Melbourne City are the only team that have won more than fifty percent of their games. So, oh no, 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 yeah, I was just, I was just talking to Adelaide as an example because they're actually in second spot. But I mean, you could say the same thing for Mariners, Wanderers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, it's it's weird. Everyone's kind of had some form of in- inconsistency. We hopped on about MacArthur's earlier, but it's just funny because there's just a lot more going on. But you talk about um the way you talk about Adelaide, and I know especially in in Adelaide fans of the club, there are a lot of questions still around um Carl Furt and whether his tactics are actually suited to a side that can push onto a side like Melbourne City. But then you look outside the state, a lot of people would love to be in Adelaide United's position and playing that kind of football and having the sort of players like Aaron Quinn to come through. So it's 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 a weird dynamic that's at play in a way because. As much as Adelaide is sitting there questioning what's going on in the club itself, you're actually a lot of people are envious of the position that the club's in. Yeah. Well, does who thinks? Well, who who have we got for second? Um, if we had to make a prediction right now, I mean, it's so hard because you got. I say Adelaide. You, you I think say Adelaide. Adelaide? Are gonna, like, I think Adelaide can see it out. That that match against Wanderers will be telling, especially going away to them on a Friday night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. if they win that match, I think that's that second place spot done dusted. I think Obviously, Adelaide pending are what happens in between a, now and then. Yeah, I mean, me, me, and and Antonis, who, 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 yeah, here in SA. I mean, we've we've been kind of critical of the team, but I do really think that these last couple of weeks they're showing some kind of signs of actually really starting to come together and, and play some really good kind of attractive football. So yeah, I, I do think based on that that they could finish second. But I mean, look, the Mariners they just had a big confidence boosting win. Who knows? They could they could come on. Uh, yeah, and and you got to think about their away form as well. They got to go back on the road for a little bit. Mm-hmm. You never. Know, it, it's honestly it's so hard to predict because especially. 
it's it's been a weird competition in a way because home form, I think it's been more prevalent this season than any other. Where if you can get a good run at home, you're more than likely going to be in the top six. Maybe Sydney FC probably shouldn't be included in that kind of discussion because they've been very inconsistent at home, but still in the top six. But you look at the top five per se; they've really made use of their home games. Adelaide probably the best example of that. Yeah, and I mean, Marcus, what? Of course. Adelaide oh. are the best example of home form. You take Adelaide. Adelaide Coopers is a tough place to go to. Who? Which club has only lost one game at home all season? You, you oh, nothing. Here we go. Okay, yeah. Look, Perth slipped my mind for a sec. I'm sorry. It's pure yeah, disrespect that, that, to Perth. I think. Wait, Cody. Perth? Weren't you talking more about out of the top six clubs though, or were you talking? I was more. I was more talking about those that are in the upper echelon of the league at the moment. Yeah, yeah. No disrespect to Matt, but yeah, Perth is another example of the point that I'm trying to make. Like you're you're buttoned in like I'm wrong. You've just proved my point. Well, I I was just got very triggered because I I take it personally. You know, I'm, I'm okay, sorry. So now I that's, that's, you, that's, Matt, that's Nick are, Green. Hang right. on, hang on. That's Nick Green. Perth's home form. Okay, that's, so we're we're accumulating a list. We're here. playing Matt Olson bingo. <laughs> Play Matt Olson bingo. I'm showing up late. Who can piss off Mac? Who can piss off Matt Olson the most? That's what we're playing on this podcast today. Well, you know those vibes I talked about. You know Perth at home vibes. Secretly, like under this brief mesh of like glitter and like sparkly fireworks it's actually just Matt Olsen getting mad at people <laughs> that's what's getting the video games it's just Matt Olsen anger that is the vibe and that is why they win he's like the Mustafa Armenian front page football like he's just going off okay <laughs> all, right, all right um let's uh yeah let's bring the A-League's uh chat to a to a close we'll, we'll touch on the dub a little bit later but uh, yeah we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, about the young soccerers okay so let's move on and talk about the young soccerers um who of course um overnight uh, were eliminated um in the in the um quarterfinal stage by by Uzbekistan in the uh, in the Asian Cup under 20 Asian Cup and uh yeah on penalties heartbreaking defeat after one all draw Gabriel Popovich gave gave the young Socceroos a lead um just before the 80th minute mark 2 minutes later um <laughs> here we go we were, we were, we, were, we were doing this off air and I was trying to pronounce uh pronounce the Uzbekistan player's last name but I'm going to try it again now Abdurrahman Rakhmadov Abdirakhmatov. And Matt, there you go. Um, and yeah, he got the equalizer two minutes later. And uh, yeah, in the end, it goes to penalties. And Adrian Segacic, uh missed missed for the uh, for the young Socceroos. And then uh, yeah, yeah, Uzbekistan scored the decisive penalty to win five four. So um, this tournament, yeah, I've been I've been following this uh, closely, and I think I think a couple of you guys have as well. Um, and watching watching the group stage games, start off with a defeat to Vietnam, and then the Young Socceroos really turned it on uh, in the next couple of games after that, and in particular in the in the last group game against uh, against Qatar, where they beat them nine one, was a sensational performance. And there was a lot of optimism going to this game as well because had they won, they would have qualified for the for the under twenty uh, FIFA World Cup, which is a which is a massive achievement um, for for the Young Socceroos, but. Yes, obviously it ends in defeat. Uzbekistan are the host nation, um, and yeah, really, yeah, it, it's just it was really kind of heartbreaking for for the team. I mean, it's they they really put a lot into that into the tournament. You could kind of see um, from from the group stage. I think there's a lot of a lot of players um, from A League clubs there who who have done well, who who've put themselves on the map a bit, which is great. Um, so yeah, feel free anyone to chime in here. Just just your initial thoughts, the result, what you thought of uh, thought of the team and their performance uh, at the tournament as well. Look. I'm just annoyed at the fact that I stayed up until 4 a.m. in the morning to eventually watch us lose on penalties and miss out on a World Cup. 
Um, so a lot of my thoughts are going to be based on the fact that I didn't get a lot of sleep last night, and I am not happy about it. If you look at the t- tournament overall, especially that first game against Vietnam, look, that's probably the one, that was the only game I unfortunately didn't get to catch. Oh no, I did catch most of that. Um, I just missed the part where we went behind, and then obviously I started watching when we were starting trying to go forward, and I didn't create anything from it. Vietnam are a side that is pumping a lot of money into their football system in their own country. There is a reason why they are slowly doing a lot better. Even at a senior international level, they were, I think it was the first time that they'd made the final round of qualification for the World Cup when we played against them. But um, look, the two sides that we couldn't get over the top of, Vietnam and Uzbekistan, two sides that are really doing a lot of work to improve their stature in Asian football. So in a way, I guess you can understand where these results are coming from, but we've got to look at ourselves. And this isn't a knock at the new system because at the end of the day, this is a very talented group of players, even if it wasn't our strongest cohort. But if you're looking at the squad itself, what they really should have achieved out of this tournament, I don't see... I, I do think it's a disappointment because there's, there's a lot of expectation on this team. There, We should have, we really should be going to that under-20s World Cup. And the fact that we're not, at least to me, I am disappointed by it. I understand we'll plan at home, well, not at home, against the home nation. Uzbekistan, like I said, they are pumping a lot of money into their football system. They are a lot better than what people would give them credit for. Obviously, they're not that traditional big name like a Saudi Arabia or Iran or Japan, but they are a growing football nation. They had 35,000, 34,000, sorry, people behind them. It was always going to be a tough ass the moment we had to play that game. Why we're in that position in the first place, that's questionable. We probably should have done a lot better in that Vietnam game. We did have enough of the ball to create something. We just didn't create anything. But um, I think a lot of questions can be raised, particularly around the preparation for this tournament. You look at how the other teams that were playing against to prepare for Vietnam, I think they had this squad together for almost four months before the tournament. Obviously, we can't do that, but we have players at different clubs. But every international window, we need to do a lot more to get these guys together, get them actually playing games and prepared for these tournaments. Buddy, um. Are we friends? Go on, go on. Microphone on. We, we are, Matt, friends. I consider you a very close friend. Very close friend. We've been working together with Front Page Football for a very long time. We host the podcast together at the World Cup for um for your label. And we've you know been doing the dub and we talk about dub. We talk about football all the time. We respect each other a lot. Cool. Um, so this is probably one of the most one-eyed and ignorant things that have ever come out of your mouth, right? So let's Let's just start with the fact that oh, preparations. You want to you want to get into preparations for the tournament, Cody. You know the backstory behind this. So I've told you about it. This team had to pull out. They had to eliminate themselves from the Asian Cup along with several other federations in the AFC because the tournament was being held in Basra, Iraq. Now the stadium in Basra is very up to date. They would have the, the the AFC and everyone from press and whoever else wanted to cover the tournament. Everyone would have been well you know, accommodated for, but government sanctions on visiting Iraq, no matter the circumstances, are so severe that countries weren't allowed. The football federations just didn't have enough leverage to get them to the tournament. And this meant that, you know, about about a year ago, we didn't think we were even going to an Asian Cup, let alone a World Cup in Indonesia, as appealing as the prospect was. We we didn't even know that we were going to beat the tournament. So how already, you know, there's, there's a lot that's going on from from that side of things um, and the development levels that that we'd sort of set ourselves up for. There was a big gap in the timeline there. 
Trevor Morgan's appointment as the coach was a bit of a funny one because he had, I know that obviously he has a background in taking that that uh, under seven under seventeens team to the to the uh, World Cup round of sixteen, but he was in a position where he wasn't necessarily appointed as the the manager for that set of players um, for some of the lead up up to the tournament as well, and they had a bit of back and forward going on with that. So the preparations could have not been any worse, basically, right? So Cody, you, you know. There's also an important historical trend here. We never prepare overly well for these tournaments. We have a set curricula that is set out by by the FA, and it's always been one that, by everyone's agreement, is kind of broken and, and heavily flawed. But this is, it has nothing to do with the fact that the system was heavily flawed. It has to do with the fact that we were not even going to be at the tournament. <laughs> so, so again, the, the AFC only announced a few months beforehand, it's moving to Uzbekistan, everyone come, this is the, the 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 calendar that's going to be set out for you, you need to put these things in place. And everyone had to do it at lightning speed. And even the teams that prepare better than us, you know, the ASEAN teams, you know, the, the West Asian academies who, I mean, you want to talk about how they performed? I mean, yeah, we, we can have that conversation. The AFC had to really pull things together in, in almost like a COVID-esque fashion for this this tournament to, to to go ahead and Australia was one country that was broadened down by that quite quite heavily because of our government sanctions on Iraq right <clears throat> so that's that's the big part for me that says any talk about the preparation you just you simply just don't know what what you're talking about right and, and I again Cody come on I, I love you I, I do and I, I respect your opinion but I think that your approach to this is is quite you know you're, you're just so based on the fact that you know you you intimately know who these players are you know they're quality bowlers we all know they're quality bowlers they're they're an insanely good generation of players and the expectations has to be there. We, we don't need to be shaking hands. We don't need to be saying, Oh, well, you did a really good job. Like that's not, th- those standards are not good enough, mm. but the isolation of how they prepared for this tournament is very, very, very important for a start. So there's that. And, and now I actually do want to talk about the results because historical trends are important. We've had generations of players who, you know, they were heavily linked to being a part of the golden generation or the, the generations just before that. And those generations of players didn't go to these tournaments or perform overly well at them. Even even times when we we're in the OFC, we would go to these tournaments and get thrashed. So the fact that, well, okay, hang on, I've just sort of cut myself off there because this is the Asian Cup, but I mean, you know, international major international tournaments, right? So whether that be, you know, invitationals that were set up of a similar mould against the likes of Japan, we didn't perform well at them with better players. So... So there, there is also that that important trend that in in the time that we've been in the AFC, we haven't performed well. The early 2010s would be the last time, you know, that, that a generation of players had come in and done well. For us to have gotten that 9-1 result against Qatar, for all of those players, this is a, another thing that a lot of people have been ignorant about. All of those players that start in that game, they are all signed and contracted to A-League clubs. Never has there been a team that has played so well at the international level that has 100% been an A-League generation of players. Acknowledge that. Support that. Be happy about that because it's a big deal. It's never happened before. And so there's that element of it. There's the element of the preparation. There's all these things that are going on. And, you know, this team actually did well to put itself together under Trevor Morgan. They did well to, you know, play at the extremely high level they did. They you know, came back from losing that first game against Vietnam, knowing they had two really strong West Asian opponents to, to play. And they, they they took that experience and they, you know, you can just see some of the characters in their faces and how they weren't bothered by going to penalties in, in a game that big in front of, never mind the fact that it was in front of, you know, 35,000 people in Uzbekistan. When were they ever played in, in an environment that hostile before? There's so many elements at play here. And I think that we have to really, really celebrate and reward this generation for what they offered because that, that team... 
they came up against some very, very unique challenges with the tournament originally being cancelled. And um, it all stems from that. And then it stems from the fact that the players still learned well, they developed well, and that's ultimately what this all comes down to. So, yeah, I uh, I couldn't disagree with you more on this than I've ever disagreed with you on anything ever. And uh, that's not good. So, yeah, uh, who wants to take it away? Yeah, I, I want to extend on sort of some of the points you're making because I do agree. Um, it is important to, you know, have stands for these players because they are bloody good players. I think we all know that. However, we do have to remember that this is an underage tournament. Like it isn't, you know, senior. This is about developing players. It's about giving players chances. And I think we did see that, you know, there's a lot of benefits to take from this tournament. I think one on top of my head, Rafael Borges-Rodriguez. is mm. someone we've barely seen, you know, play for City, you know, due to the competition there. He's dominated this tournament. Like I, I think he's been one of the best wingers I've, I've seen in all the games. He's been fantastic. And I think it's, you know, really, really, you know, it's perfect for these players. And even other players like Jed Drew, like um, obviously he's, you know, been, you know, getting a lot of games this year, but, I think, you know, to sort of really show how much he has grown as a player, you know, he's someone that, you know, wasn't, you know, even, in, you know, that wasn't a league standard at all a season ago. And now he's, you know, been playing and was very, very good this tournament. So I think there's a lot of benefits to take from this tournament. Um, it's a shame, you know, I would have loved, you know, to go to under 20s uh, World Cup. That would be a great experience for all these young players, but there are benefits to take, you know, it's, um, so yeah. Well, you touched on something very important there, you know, underage tournaments, like there for development, and if you, you only have to look at the uh, record of a country like Nigeria, who have won several youth world tournaments, and their national team in the men's hasn't really seen the same success. So there is a bit of nuance when it comes to these conversations. Uh, I think that in terms of the standards that Australia is setting uh, in the modern day are much higher. I think the facilities that are on offer are a lot better than they were. But I think tangible results, the youth level for Australia is beneficial as well. And I think whilst it's a complex conversation to have because it is youth football, uh, when there is a failure, you should quite rightly call it out. And for me personally, I think not being able to go to a under-20s World Cup is still significantly, you know, a significant downfall Um when considering the development of these players because you go on from playing countries in the AFC, which are talented footballers, you know, they, these countries, you know, are, are not to be sort of looked down upon in terms of the talent they've produced because you only have to look at the performance of the Asian seniors in the last World Cup. You know, a majority of them got out of the group stage and got out of the group stage and, and caused trouble in and around that area. So, um they're not to be looked down on, but also when you get to those worldwide competitions, you get to verse the European elite. And the more you verse the European elite, the more scouts you get watching you and the the more competition there is at a world-class level. And, and that's sort of my personal take on, on this situation. Look, I'm not going to disagree with anything anyone said because at the end of the day, we raise valid points. Like youth, youth tournaments, uh, more for performance, not necessarily results. I understand all that. We haven't been to an under 20s World Cup in when was the last time we made an under 20s World Cup? Actually, I'm I can't think of the top of my head, but I know it hasn't been recently. We've definitely missed some tournaments in the past. Should we not at least be sitting there saying, Look, we've got a generation? We had people calling that this generation good enough to go deep into that under 20s World Cup tournament. So, for some for to question why we're not going to be there in the first place. I don't think it's an outrageous question to ask. Whether you put on the players, and I'm not going to question the quality of this group of players, 
I said at the start of that little tangent that I had, this is a good group of players, and I 100% back that. I understand we had the issues um, in the lead-up to the tournament with where it was going to be located. We thought we weren't going to go. But the fact that it was moved in the first place, there were we weren't the only nation in that boat. So we, in a way, we can question why were other nations able to handle it better than us. I understand we're probably one of the leaders in saying, look, we probably can't do this because of government restrictions. But I think I think that's still a question that we've got to put out there. Some there's got there's got to be some form of reason why we haven't made this tournament, because I don't want to sit here and accept the fact that we have nations like and no disrespect to them, I don't want to sit here and say nations like Vietnam and Uzbekistan are not just catching up to us, but in a way overtaking us. Yes, coming up against Uzbekistan in an environment like that, it's going to be hostile. It's something the players haven't played before played in before. And I'd want to hope it is going to be beneficial for them going into the future. But we should probably be questioning why we're in that position in the first place. Because if we topped our group, we're playing Iraq, who we beat in qualifying. So I understand that there's a lot more at play than just simply results-based. And, oh, we lost a quarterfinal. We're not got... I'm not saying we've got to overhaul the youth system or anything. But we probably should be looking at our own internal processes. And, Matt, you said it yourself. As much as this tournament's lead-up was affected... We do have a track record of not preparing for youth tournaments. Well, why? Yeah, okay. okay. Why don't we look at that? Let, let's have let's have this conversation in, in more depth, right? What what does this really come down to surrounding you know the the nature of why we didn't perform? And here's where I really I really need you to do your research on this and understand that in the years prior, these one nil these one nil losses to Vietnam, these group stage performances you know, against countries who at the senior level are far worse than us but are so far more developed in a youth development sense. You understand that we used to lose these games 4-0, 5-0. We used to finish bottom of those groups. We used to be really abysmal in the years that we weren't able to have a generation of players that was good enough to come through. I firmly, vehemently believe that the, the, the factors at play that played towards us not qualifying have basically fuck all to do with our development being behind and everything to do with the fact that we made a lot of strides going really, really far forward in our youth development. That was the reason that our results were able to get so much better. Go look at the go look at the Asian Cups of, of years prior. I think, oh, I think I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with that. I've seen our results made, at these tournaments before. We made a significant step forward. And I've, I've seen look, it. Your judgment is so well guided here, Cody. You, you have such you, you have such an intelligent mind, and you understand the game so well. But that's exactly why I'm really confused that you're getting the pitchforks out when we actually improved a lot on the results okay, of Asian look, Cups prior. Hold back for a sec. I'm not saying get the pitchforks out because I'm not. I'm just disappointed you're, you're about sort this. Of are, you are. I'm disappointed about this tournament in itself. I'm not trying to speak to a wider issue here. I understand that there's been a level of improvement. I've seen those results at Asian Cups in the past. We haven't. Uh, it's just come up to me now. We haven't made an under 20s World Cup since 2013, and there's qualification processes in the meantime were absolutely abysmal. I'm pretty sure there were times we didn't even make it out of our group. There was, I'm pretty sure there's been tournaments where we've come last in our group of these tournaments. Two nations like, I think even Jordan and Palestine, where if it was them or not specifically, it was nations in that region and at that level. I understand this is an improvement, and that Qatar game shows how talented this group is. I'm just, my main point is that Qatar game in particular and the rest of the wider tournament shows we should be playing at this under-20s World Cup. And I don't see why we shouldn't be asking questions while we're not there. I'm not. I'm not saying. Come on. I'm not. I'm not saying don't ask questions. But why be so? Well, why be so certain that we need to ask questions and point fingers 
when Adrian Segacic literally just ever so slightly misguided one kick, and that's the reason why we're not at this World Cup. Okay, I mean, come point. on, just, just take a moment to just reflect on the fact that we overperformed our last few years of poor performances at these Asian Cups, and we just missed out in a hostile environment that no under-20s group of an Australian national team would have honestly ever faced before. 35,000 people would have sold out stadium. And we just miss out because Adrian Segacic hits but, the post. But like I said, we could have been playing against the Iraq in this game instead to make that tournament. I, th- I think we can track it back a little bit further in the tournament. I understand the Vietnam game is a different kettle of fish. Yeah, but it we is. win that game. Really we can draw that game. We're playing Iraq to go to the under 20s World right. Cup instead. Sure, sure. But what are you doing at that point, Cody? You're getting semantic about results. It's not It's not completely results-based. You've, you've said that. It's yeah. not completely results-based. So, so what is the conversation? What is the argument? I'm, I'm mainly saying we. I think we should be moving to a point. We've got a growing generation of players. Like you said, we've improved vastly. I think now is the time where we can start asking those questions. Why aren't we making these Youth World Cups? I'm not saying get the pitchforks out. I'm, I'm not saying we need a massive overhaul of anything. I'm just saying there's definitely areas within our own internal processes that we can do better to ensure we end up at those World Cups, like Jack said, in front of more scouts to get these players playing in Europe. Yeah, I... I think that the conversation that both you guys are having, I, I don't want to speak for you guys at all to this, but it is a nuanced and complex issue because that's what youth football is. It's a nuanced and complex issue. Uh, like Matt said, preparation is key. And when that preparation is, you know, vastly interrupted by, you know, real sort of global factors, it becomes very difficult to to perform. And especially when you consider that all these guys are 18, 19 years old. And, and that's a conversation worth having. But also it doesn't underwrite the the underperformance worth of a decade. And when you do have a generation that is talented enough and th- there has to be sort of a checks and balances at the same time, it doesn't mean you can't have those conversations and, and, and and speak to those things about how the the tournament is being shifted around and how there were significant barriers for Australia even getting there in the first place. And it's not trying to to mute those points. It's more or less speaking that if we have a generation that is good enough, that should be in other wider circumstances, that should still be the standard. And it's all right to feel slightly disappointed with that. You know, the, the feelings of disappointment when your country doesn't make a tournament which the generation sort of dictates that should happen, it's all right to feel disappointed at that. Then again, it was to penalties and it was one kick by Adrian Segasvic and there was other factors included. I think that it, there's no two sides here. It's sort of a microcosm and it's a complex issue, especially when you talk about really young players and where they should be in their development. And when you look back on it, and reflect on it as a country on whatever systemic things are in place you know sometimes it's not a deep dive but it's a surface level sort of uh interpretation so if i could just add something in here i think where matt's maybe coming from and matt feel free to to you know to to correct me if i'm wrong but i think matt is probably someone who does a lot more in-depth you know research into this sort of thing he's very much more passionate about these youth tournaments than than maybe you know uh, Cody, yourself, Jack, and and even me. Um, and so 
it's probably the fact that when mainstream media people come out and in Oz football and they just see a result and they just slam it and they go, what's wrong with us, blah, 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 without actually doing their background research, I can understand how that's infuriating for people like Matt. Right. Um, because it's it's kind of like, well, do you actually know the background and the history and the nuance behind it? So so I I totally understand that. Now, I guess what Cody you're saying from from what I'm gathering is, well, you won the two games against Qatar and Iraq. I mean, why couldn't you just show up for the other game against Vietnam and 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 win all three group games, make your make your maybe road to the World Cup a lot easier? Uh, in the next round, you didn't have to play the Uzbeks uh, in front of you know thirty four thousand screaming fans. This, that, and the other. I agree, but I, I, I'm going to have to side with Matt here because he's right. Like you're looking at one result to kind of go, you know, like one one result was complete. I mean, if Australia won that, Australia won that game on penalties. Sekic scores, and maybe um, Wachowski saves the next penalty. Are you talking like this? Possibly not. Possibly not. And look, I I understand completely where you're coming from. Where I am falling into that trap where I'm letting one result dictate how I'm viewing things. But I, I can't express this enough. I'm not trying to have a go at the youth systems in this country currently. I think they've improved vastly and we're seeing that with the quality of player. Has our processes going into just individual tournaments kept up with that? I think that's a fair question to ask. And like I said, we have a growing generation. I don't see why we can't ask us can't ask questions why we're not making these tournaments. And it probably, to an extent, comes from the frustration that it has been so long since we've had a generation that actually has the ability to get to this tournament and possibly do well. We saw with the Under-17s World Cup, the hype around that, that we actually went there and did well. We want to experience that again at youth level. So, at the very least, it's frustrating when it doesn't happen. And yeah, look, I might be getting on the defensive going, we should be getting to these tournaments. Why aren't we? I don't do that in a way that one disrespects any other country in Asia. Matt, I know you're more well-versed in what happens in especially ASA and um, uh, football ASEAN. and the wider Asian community. <laughs> I am definitely never going to question your knowledge in that regard. And I know you're very on top of the little nuances that go around just in general geopolitics around Asia and how that will affect football. That's definitely never something I will never take you on. My main issue here is just this individual tournament and the, how we are growing as a football nation. I don't see why we should sit there and go, okay, we haven't made this tournament. We can just go, we'll just move on. I do think that we should be asking questions. And, and whatever those questions are, that, that's, that's, that may, that may yeah. not be up to me. That have to have that the conversation. My choice. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I get it. And, you know, when you look at the, look at the players in that team, like we should be at a World Cup. We should. And it's, it's not good enough. Mm. And we need to, we need to always sort of understand and take away why we couldn't quite get there and why, you know, on a results-based level, we did still lose a game, and 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 that is that is problematic. But I, I still think that it's a bit of a harsh over exaggeration. I still think it's in isolation something that that is nuanced, as 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 Jack said. You know, so yeah, there's a lot to take away from it. But at the end of the day, yeah, we're not we're not at a World Cup, and there's been a lot of factors to play. It's been an incredible, incredible journey, and I think the one thing that you will agree with me with Cody is we can still be proud of of, of that team and, and what they did achieve while they were were playing to, to qualify for a World Cup. Well, I enjoyed watching that team, especially the Qatar match. I know some people said they got bored towards the end. I do like a route myself, especially if I'm on the right end of it. And Matt, I'm sure you're going to agree with me. You want to see these teams at a World Cup. We're both fighting for the same thing here. It's just that we're probably looking at it from different perspectives. That's that's all it is. 
But, yeah, look, I believe we should be asking those questions. If you understand those issues going on a bit more than me, Christian, I'm sure you want to move on from this conversation and stop this um, Cody Matt kind of. No, no, no. So, I what, what, what I actually, seriously, what I want to actually do, which I don't think we do enough, maybe coming out of these tournaments, is actually talk about like what players impressed you. Like what? Like who? Who actually took a leap? Like you know what I mean? Like this sort of thing. Because because one guy I think for sure which we have to talk about is Adrian Segacic and the fact that he's not getting game time at Sydney FC. Um, and the fact that if I'm him coming out of this tournament, I should probably be looking to get a move somewhere else where I can get game time because he right now is in a crucial developmental phase and he needs to get minutes. And I just think it's as simple as that. There's no, there's no, there's no ifs or buts about it. Simple as that. Yeah. Imagine him at the Mariners. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that's you know, that's that's one club there. You know, even Adelaide United is another club, for example. Um, Matt, do you, do you want to add something? Yeah, I did just want to say that the MVP for me was Jed Drew, and, and the important distinction with himself and Segacic is that Segacic isn't getting the minutes, and Jed Drew has been playing senior league football the whole time. So it's a very very important metric to bring up. Yeah, and I, I think sort of bring it all the way back now to Segacic. Um it's really strange of him because preseason, it looked like this was going to be his year. He was playing mm. a lot in the uh, FFA Cup, had a couple games off the bench, scored a goal, goal early on this season, just not seen any minutes. And I think he's really reminded us again, this tournament, like, like uh, but before this, um, yeah, the start of the season, I honestly had him on the likes of Iram Kunda qual level. I really did. I was a huge fan of him. Um, you know, doing what he did at MPL level as a, you know, teenager, ridiculous. Um, so hopefully, you know, this can really springboard him, you know, really put him on a stage. Obviously it's, it's such a huge shame that, for a lot of people, the penalty kick is going to probably overrule his mm. overarching performances, you know, because that's the most memorable part at the end of the day. But fantastic tournament from him. Yeah, like I really hope, you know, he can, whether it's a move or whether it's Sydney, he's finally going to be given a proper chance, you know, starting games. Uh, yeah. I, I also can, I trigger, of, can I trigger everyone yeah. and say that I kind of like Gabriel Povich? We're going to talk about him in a second. What I will say is I actually kind of rated some of some of Trevor Morgan's management uh, in this tournament as well. I actually think the the move to put uh, Josh Rollins at centre back uh, worked really well. Um, when really that you know Josh Rollins is a guy when he was breaking down the air, he was very much a fullback. I don't think anyone really saw him as potentially being a you know centre back. Um, you know, particularly in a tournament like that, when when you know you're in a high pressure environment like that, so so I thought that was really good. Um, I was a little bit bummed to not see. I mean, Jake, you mentioned Borges Rodriguez earlier. I think I, I think that guy really early impressions, but I love his build as a winger. I mean, he's like he's he's massive. Like like you know, you got to get excited about wingers like that. That that kind of when I see a guy who's technical, but he's also got the physical attributes to to match. Like that is really good. And if I could just talk from an Adelaide perspective, I mean Bernardo looked really good in this tournament, um, which I think is is probably going to bode well for them. Um, with Ben Halloran in particular, just looking to that uh, from that aspect, not looking great in in recent weeks as well. But let's talk about Popovich, um, because you know he, <laughs> yeah, uh, he was he was a bit of a divisive player, I think, throughout this tournament. I he just. Yeah, he just lacks the dynamism that I think just didn't complement probably what was around him um, very well. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It just wasn't really a good fit. Uh, but he does come up with the big goal in 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 the uh, in the game against you know in the most important game. So you can't really knock him from that perspective. Um, yeah, what what are our thoughts on him? Look, I understand where Matt's coming from in the terms of I think he's got all the physical attributes to be a great striker. And like I said, he came up with the goal that w- could have sent us to the Under-20s World Cup, and I'm sure the discourse around it would be completely different if that was the case. I, I think he's 
you know, we, I joked about him when we said, oh, yeah, is um, he going to be in between here and Kunda and Kual at the 2026 World Cup? And I was like, no. Look, if he polishes off certain areas of his game, maybe. Never say never. If I'm looking at this tournament in particular, and I know I keep dragging it back to this, like I'm just looking at it kind of in one dimension, I probably would have liked to have seen a bit more of Archie Goodwin, especially in that lone striker role, because I think he probably would have complimented the team a little bit. Um, that's just a personal opinion, though. I think Archie Goodwin probably would have done a better job in that role than what Popovich did tournament-wide. But um, look, I don't want to knock Popovich too much as a player because I do think there is definitely a bit of raw talent there. Um, I think I think that I, okay. So when I when I say that I kind of like him, I don't necessarily like him for his um, his physical attributes and what he offered on the pitch. I just like that he got there through his own doing, trying to really grind out a, a career um, sort of as a professional footballer. And what I mean by this is when he and his brother played for Perth Glory, and of course I, I'm taking the WA angle, but he was such a shining example of nepotism being really potent in Australian football and people bashed him to death for it and, and said that he and Christian didn't, didn't deserve to be anywhere near an A-League pitch. He was only a 16-year-old kid taking, all of, taking on all that advice and all those words at the time as well, right? Turned out to be completely sort of not true and he actually possessed a lot of talent in the football that he played. He then decided to go to Croatia and play a bit of football in, in Croatia. Now, he was with the, the Xanthi team under his, under his dad as well, so say what you will about that. But he, he's someone that, you know, he's, he's not, even, not even a 20-year-old yet, right? And he, he spent a lot of time in his career playing, you know, basically that mindset of you've got to go out in Europe and you've got to go and make that life and make that career for yourself the exact you know, the exact sort of sentiment that a lot of these guys like John Aloisi and, you know, the Mark Swarses of the world set out for themselves all those years ago. And that's something in a player that we rarely see because of the home comforts of the A-League. So that has to be rewarded. And Trevor Morgan's acknowledged that, that Gabby's actually took it upon himself to go out and make a career in Europe. And no one else around that setup had been as daring to, to want to make that move. And it's actually something that the team of 2019, the 17th team of 2019 have in common as well, is that they had the likes of Ryan Teague who went out to Portugal when he was 17. You know, they have these players who, who take that step and, and really learn to develop themselves in a really hard, you know, selfless kind of way. So that's the one thing that I want to say is a really big asset to Gabriel Popovich. Does it mean he should be starting ahead of Archie Goodman? No. No, it doesn't. Well, but it is I, something that should be rewarded in a setup. I think the main discourse is not about Gabriel Popovich being an untalented footballer. I think he has genuinely got some really good parts of his game. I like his build as well as a forward. You know, he's someone you can hit. He's someone you can uh, definitely hold up the ball in a, in in a possession sort of system, or if you're trying to get it out wide to those talented wingers that we were on show in this tournament. I think it was the player that he was keeping on the bench that was mainly due to some of the discourse about him starting because uh, Archie Goodwin, in the limited minutes he's had this season and in the previous season where he sort of broke through, he's a really sort of electric, you know, he's got some flair, confidence about him, got this swagger when he's on the pitch. And, you know, maybe, you know, as someone who's from Newcastle, I might buy into that more than I buy into a Gabriel Popovich. But also, Gabriel Popovich's scoring record also speaks for himself. Like, he scored what? I'm looking at six and five. That could be wrong. But it is, 
he's a decent player. And, you know, Archie Goodwin probably would have suited the system they playing a little bit more, but um, I think that's the major part of the discourse. I don't think it's a Gabriel Popovich bashing show. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, look, like I mentioned, um, he, you know, he does come up with a goal in 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 the most important game in the tournament. Um, and I agree with um what uh, what you said, Jack, about actually his build as a striker. There's something there to work with for sure. Um, in saying that, you know, Archie Goodwin, who I think you know you would agree, probably even at club level, you'd like to see probably more of too. Um, yeah, I, I just think Archie Goodwin's another one. You know, I'd like to see more. You know, just just I'd like to see him on the pitch more. Simple as that, right? Um, one final thing on this before we take another quick break. Um, should we have had a penalty? Uh, should Australia have had a penalty? Um, with with Adrian Sagacic on the uh, I... Becky keeper, I I think for sure. To be honest, I don't. That was Stonewall in my opinion. I don't. I, I don't know. My, maybe people, you guys disagree, but I think that was Stonewall pen. I think the issue is that. The um, I geez, I I don't think. How can I put this? Um, before my brain explodes. Basically, what I'm trying to get to without actually saying anything is that there was a bit of an exaggeration. It was almost like there was a definite point of contact where the foul mm. was initiated, and uh, and the players you know gone over. So I think as a result of that, I I think I can justify the referee's decision. <laughs> don't don't murder. I, I just boys, can't. Please. I, I, I think I, you can. I, Look, I can see where Matt's coming from. I think you can justify it if you're looking at it in real time. I'd be intrigued to see what the, this, ah, the decision will come out of if there was VAR. Yeah. But then it, it takes out that sort of smoke and mirror, which some people, myself included, like to see when it comes to forwards winning penalties or defenders giving away penalties. You know, with VAR, you, you don't get that aspect of the game. But that's a, a larger issue entirely. Look, you see them given, you see them not given. It's one of those calls that without the VAR there, I I don't think it's it, it can be real clear in in percent real time. So there's a little little bit more time pack under the surface when it comes to that particular moment in the game. Yeah, I agree. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk a little about the NPL competitions. Um, and then we'll touch a little bit on the A-League women as well. Okay, so I think we're going to make it a bit of a weekly thing uh, on this podcast to make sure we're at least uh, you know giving uh, due time to to the NPL competitions. They're very important to the to the whole Australian football ecosystem. So um, yeah, it's important that we touch on them. Tanner, who hasn't maybe been as prevalent in this podcast throughout, but we definitely want him to talk at the moment because he is our contributor from Tasmania and the NPL Tasmania starts this week. Um, now a lot of people listening might think you know. I, I don't know much about NPL Tasmania, and that's why, you know, we've got this section on the podcast. So, Tana, I'm going to hand off to you now. Give us a little bit of a background into this season coming up, if there's any players we should look out for, um, what are the clubs to look out for. Um, you can even, if you want, obviously with the National Second Division news, South Hobart had an expression of interest too. So, I'm sure you might have some information on that too. So, so give us a bit of give us a bit of info. All righty. I've got so much to talk about. Sick. Okay. Um, well, uh, Devonport, uh, we're... Uh, in the uh, summer cup preseason for the first time this uh, this year, it's always just been like a southern um, summer cup because the northern teams elect not to participate. So uh, Dev- Devonport, um, Launceston City, uh, Riverside Olympic, and well, nearly Launceston United, but they weren't in the league beforehand. So Launceston United um, have taken Olympia Warriors' uh, place in the league, 
so Olympia are now down the Southern Championship. That's like really huge news. Um, I can't really touch too much on the reasons because it's a bit of a longer topic. Mm-hmm. Um, so Denver going into that, they scored, I'm pretty sure, 20 plus goals in their free group games. And then they met South Hobart, obviously, the uh, the side that's uh, hoping to get into the second division um, in the final um, up north. And uh, it was definitely the more even Devonport South Hobart game that I've seen in a very long time because Devonport really have a knack of uh, knocking off South Hobart when it means the most, especially in the Lacka Seljuk Cup final uh, last year. Devonport rarely struggle when it comes to travel. Like it's a three and a half hour drive to get down to these Southern games, and they can beat teams five ten nil. It's it's bizarre. So. The standard is definitely there in the MPL, but it definitely just needs to improve just a bit more in Tassie. Um, getting into the players uh, signing, uh, Devonport did actually break a signing uh, tonight. We've got an English striker coming in, uh, Luke Bennett. He's uh, had brief stints at Weymouth FC and Lymington FC in the UK. Uh, do you know much about those teams at all, Matt? What? Why? Why? Sorry, sorry. You can't see, obviously, on <laughs> on the video recording. But Matt was so surprised that he just got called in there. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, I'm very distracted. Like I said at the start of the show, I've had a million things to do. There's a lot going on. Just, just <laughs> yeah. Um, Weymouth, Weymouth, the seventh division, anyone? I think yeah, I, yeah. I've, actually heard, I, I've, I've heard of them. I think they are non-league. I actually yeah. have, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that's it. That's okay. Yeah, no, that's fine. Um, what I'm noticing, though, when it comes to MPL is they're always recruiting, not just Devonport, most teams always recruit, like, college players, like, and it really lowers the standard of the league. I, I'm curious, is that is that common on the mainland as well? Are you, are you talking about college players as in, um, like, from the US or like what? what yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, like right, US, okay. UK, it's oh, it's just so common, and you see like the standard when what they bring, it's 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 not great. Like right. it, we really struggle in Tasmania to get the real mainland imports. Are there any? Are there any? Um, you know, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if I'm really shooting for the stars here. Are there any ex A League players? Any ex like MPL Vic, MPL New South Wales? Some 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 more well established names maybe that that people should be aware of. Uh, not really in the uh, Tasmanian League at the moment, no. Oh, yeah. um, I mean, Nick Morden did, uh, South Hobart's Nick Morden did play uh, for South Melbourne for about five games about five, six years ago, but that's that's the closest we've pretty much yeah, got right. at the minute. Okay. Yeah. Um, but getting into this uh, this week's uh, opening round, um, it's also important that we mention the under-21s uh, inaugural season uh, this year. So that's been uh, something that's definitely been in the works for a while. Um, last year they had the MPL uh, under 18s uh, league, which I believe was a first. And they also had, um, I think it was an MPL development league as well. Okay. So this is where it just gets really hard when it comes to development for the players. Like, I don't really see the point of having an MPL development league and then having the championship. I mean, because that the championship's the second division. Mm. The, the MPL development league, that's like a third, fourth tier, if you really want to even think of that. So they scrapped that because I thought really it, it was pretty pointless. Um, but it's good to have the MPL under 21s. We've got all eight uh, state um, MPL sides in that, which is which is great. That's exactly what we need. Um, South Hobart play uh, Kimbra at 11.45 on uh, Saturday. So that'll be a nice uh, doubleheader heading into the South Kimbra uh, game 
at uh, Darcy Street as well. So that's both at that ground. That'll be actually pretty good. Kingborough have got a lot of problems um, at the moment. Uh, their form in the Summer Cup was very dismal. Um, they've got uh, a player coach uh, as well at the moment, which is obviously can be like a bit of a risky move. Mm. But keep keeping in mind, though, Gnorky Knights have also done that in the past as well with James Sherman. Um, but uh, it didn't really matter like too much because sometimes you don't really see like the player coaches like come onto the field as often. But it's still like something where they like seeing in the background that, you know, why wouldn't they just invest into a coach? Like, is there many player coaches in uh, the MPLs on the mainland, or is it just here? I, I don't know about uh, New South Wales and Vic. It's not something that I've found very common in SA. I, I found, I can't though, think of any off the top of my head. Scott yeah, McDonald I found... What's that, uh, the, Jack? Scott McDonald was a player um, coach for a short stint at Gold Coast Knights, I believe. Yes? I think I'm incorrect in saying that. No, no, no. In the Australia Cup, actually. I think he brought himself yeah, on, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. He brought himself on um, towards the end of that match, so... One uh, I can think of here in SA is, but this wasn't a player coach. I don't coach. think that, that was Scott McDonald. I think that was someone else. I think I think Matt Smith did it. No, I'm sure I'm he did. Sure. No, Scott McDonald definitely did it. Scott, Scott McDonald, McDonald definitely McDonald, did it. Um, not Stop the confusing last the pot. I'm pretty sure it's Scott McDonald. <laughs> it was Scott McDonald, bro. I, I, or, or we'll just say, or we'll just say um, that we're not entirely sure. Um, so if anyone listening to the pod knows, then feel free to let us know. Um, but yeah, anyway. Uh, I'll I'll just say clearly it's not that common is to answer Tanner's point. Um, and also I'll just say from an SA perspective, the only time I could think of something similar was um Campbelltown a couple of years ago. Uh, Ian Fife was playing and then he ended up retiring. Um, and he went in, stepped into the managerial role, and he actually as a caretaker with without any licenses, uh, took them all the way to the championship. And then next year started his licenses had to get them in by a certain certain time period um and 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 actually continued as the coach but um that's that's i guess a similar sort of situation but not exactly what you're saying tanner if i could just ask this uh last thing to to, to end uh with, with the taz talk is why do you think it's actually taken this long for you know an under 21 league you know and even you just mentioned under 18 league only a couple of years ago as well i mean that seems like something which and i get it we we understand as well in tasmania you know, probably Canberra as well, these other sorts of places that resource-wise in Northern Territory would be the same. It's not the same as New South Wales, Victoria, South Australia and Queensland. But is there anything, you know, has this been something that's been, you know, called for for quite a while? 100%. Michael Edwards, uh, who worked out with Football Taz, he was predominant when it came to the development um, of Tasmanian uh, teams. He would go to basically every club and just make sure that everyone was getting like the right support. Um, he's no longer with uh, FT at the moment. He works uh, with Football Queensland. Really do miss him in the state. Everyone really does. Um, but yeah, no. Getting back to uh, the MPL uh, development, yeah, it's it's just been that like that for a long time. And but even when the uh, MPL under 18s came in, like there wasn't like that much buzz about it either because it just felt like it was just a bit too late. And then throwing in the MPL development league, it just it's just absolutely pointless. And the problem being with that as well is those players are tied um, with those leagues. So if you um, were playing in that league, you couldn't play championship for, I think, a couple of games. So that that's that's frustrating. I just, I could really rant about it, but I just feel that, you know, how the hell are we supposed to develop these players when the championship should be the league where you, that should be the, the ones you bring up? The well, that the that is strange. And, I I would, yeah. I would have thought that would have been freedom of movement. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I can say that. Yeah, here in SA, that's that's very common. That you know, players will just fill in 
fill in for you know from their reserve teams into the into the first team quite often. Um, mm. So yeah, I, I'd have to share your frustrations there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But it, it's so good just to see like um, an inaugural league like this. I'm just hoping that numbers will um, be okay because they still have all the other Northern Championship sides with uh, with Denport, Launceston United, Riverside, and City. So that's going to be really interesting to see like how they balance the numbers. Um, but yeah, no, it sh- it should be a good season. I think Denport are still favourites. Um, as always, I think they'll probably go back to back. It'll be interesting to see how Launceston United go their first uh, season uh, in the top flight. Um, winning the Northern Championship last year definitely helped their inclusion into the uh, MPL. Um, they uh, have uh, Gnorky away, which will definitely be very tough. And uh, Devonport will host uh, Clarence Zebras, which I can't really see. There'll be too much difficulty there. But uh, it also kicks off on Friday, sorry, with uh, Launceston City and Riverside. Uh, they'll be a doubleheader as well with the under-21s. So I think Launceston would win that pretty comfortably. They've signed really well in the off-season. They got uh, Devonport's uh, Joel Stone, who was uh, MPL's MPV, uh, sorry, M- MVP. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> and uh, he is an absolute quality asset. Um, they've got Daniel Sison as well. He's uh, the coach uh, for City, uh, and he was uh, predominant at Devonport a couple of years ago as well. And uh, Nathan Pitchford, um, who was uh, one of the best uh, Denport keepers, he's uh, also the one of the assistant coaches. So they've just gone all out. So there's high expectation on Launceston City this year. Okay, very last question. Do you think South Hobart <laughs> will go into the next phase of the of the second division process? I would, I would really love to see it. Like, it would be awesome just to get to, you know, some second division games, personally speaking, mm-hmm. like as a reporter. Unfortunately, I just don't think I can see it. Like, it's going to be really, really tough. Um, obviously, you know, with the travel and the accommodations and things like that. But it would do wonders for the state. It would, it would definitely help with expansion and getting more players interested. Mm-hmm. So oh, I'd love to see it 100%. I just don't think it's going to fall our way, unfortunately. Yeah, okay. It'll be interesting to see what happens. All right, Tana, move along. And um, Jack, uh, did you want to... Yeah. I guess kind of bring in the Northern New South Wales uh, MPL talk because um, that's also started um, in the in the Newcastle region. Um, and yeah, I guess what what were some of the results over the weekend, but also kind of what's what's the start of the season been like? Any key players? Um, it's sort of similar, I guess, to what to what Tanner's um, Tanner's kind of done with with Tasmania. Well, actually, in round one uh, last week, there was some big drama. Lambton Jappers and Maitland FC faced off in a round one blockbuster with Maitland FC being the premiers and the reigning champions being Lambton Jappers. That match was actually uh, abandoned due to a horrendous player injury where ambulance had to be called into the field. Um, And so that game is yet to be uh, rescheduled for a further date. Uh, In terms of the action that has gone on uh, this weekend, uh, Maitland FC did get a start this weekend against league newcomers, New Lambton FC, and it was an absolute, you know, all blasting smashing win, 9-1 at Outer Park. Uh, and that side does feature an ex-A-League attacker and also someone who might be familiar to fans of the NPL Victoria in Braden Crowley. Um, Lambton Jaffers, who are the reigning champions, uh, lost their first game. Um, it does feature the light of ex-Jets, James Virgili and Ben Kennedy in that squad. 3-0 to Western Workers, which is a very interesting result um, in round two. So both of the teams who unfortunately had that match abandoned having wildly different results there. And just a, a match that I got to tune into and I thoroughly enjoyed. 
Uh, some cracking goals down at Wildcard Oval for Charlestown, Missouri. Dean Patine and Regan Lundy with some two absolute bombs as Charlestown, Missouri ran out 3-0 winners against NSD Hopefuls, Valentine Phoenix FC. Uh, that puts Charlestown firmly in first spot. They are tied on points. However, their goal difference is substantially bigger to the second team behind them, which is Edgeworth FC, who also saw off Broadmeadow Magic 2-1 today. And uh, that Charlestown Azuri side um, does feature the likes of a couple of ex-Jets as well, ex-Jets all over the league in Nigel Bogart and Taylor Egan, and also Jacob Melling, who has played for Melbourne City and also Central Coast Mariners. So all in all, it's definitely in full swing. Um, some interesting re- results there out um, for all the teams, and I'm interested to uh, watch a few more games the next round. It looks like an exciting season. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'll just ask you as well because look, I know everyone's everyone's really keen about the second division talk at the moment because we we obviously had one from the Northern New South Wales NPL as well. So, what do you think of that that expression of interest? And again, same thing with Tanner. Do you think that will that will progress to the next stage or not? Well, it's very interesting. Uh, Valentine, I think finished sixth last year. Um, they haven't really had the best of times as of late in the Northern New South Wales NPL. Um, according to what I can gather from the club socials, they apparently have some significant foreign backing as a part of this bid. Um, their facilities that I know of, um, being a resident aren't up to the standard of some other clubs in there, namely probably Edgeworth, Lambton, Jaffers and Broadmeadow Magic, which were the teams I assumed, um, being around that area would have put in a submission and I was quite surprised they didn't. So in regards to the merit of the submission, I don't think it's going to progress further. I think that's pretty safe to say. But it was definitely very interesting when that full list of teams was released. Mm. Um, I was very surprised that Valentine was there to start. And also some of the other bigger clubs in Newcastle didn't put in a submission. Perhaps Mm. uh, they they don't see it's a good market to compete, especially with the Newcastle Jets being around for such a long time. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a it's a good point. Um, all right, I'm just going to uh, quickly run through some of the some of the key results from this weekend in uh, New South Wales, Victoria, South Australia, and Queensland. So, uh, we'll start with New South Wales NPL. Um, and yeah, so you had Rockdale um, winning three one against Wollongong, which was a which was an interesting result on on Friday night. Uh, Arpia, Sydney United were also successful this week. Wanderers Youth beat Sydney Olympic, which is actually quite a big result. Um, there, Marconi beat Blacktown in a in a pretty big game there and then you also had Sydney FC youth beating Central Coast Mariners youth in terms of the table Sydney United and Rockdale uh, are top equal top at the moment both on 15 points RP just behind uh, in third uh, with 14 points at the moment at the bottom um, <laughs> MacArthur well they might um, first team uh, isn't uh, isn't going too well and actually their youth side is bottom of the uh, of the MPL in New South Wales at the moment as well the Bulls Academy so um, it just kind of gets worse and worse if you're a MacArthur fan and Mount Druitt uh, 15th with three points uh, and then you've got manly united uh, manly united as well who were in the in the decider last year are actually uh have only picked up one win in the first five games uh, with four points um in, in 13th and then you've got sutherland sharks also on four points in 14th so that's just a quick wrap up of new south wales um and then moving on to south australia um a big result actually today which saw adelaide united youth beat adelaide olympic 3-0 big win for them in the grand final rematch adelaide city 4-3 winners against adelaide comet 
Comets. I was there. That was a really interesting game. Uh, actually, Adelaide City were 3-0 up. Comets got it back to 3-2, 4-2, and then it was 4-3. So very interesting. Probably uh, the biggest result around, though, was Metro Stars, who continue to look good uh, under their full-time coach and Danny Greystone. They won 6-1 against Croydon, um, which was a massive result on the road as well. So in SA, how it stands uh, is you've got Metro, who um, are, are top. Uh, equal top, sorry, with actually Adelaide United Youth, which is actually quite incredible after four games. Adelaide United Youth are equal top uh, with Metro Stars. Campbelltown and South Adelaide as well. Uh, South Adelaide being fourth is is quite a surprise too. Um, and then near the bottom, you've got Croydon, Travis Dodds Croydon, that is, um, and also Olympic, uh, who are the bottom two. And dare I say, I think Travis Dodd might be feeling a little bit of pressure uh, there at um there at Croydon. So yeah, wrap up of New South Wales and South Australia. Tanner, did you want to did you want to add anything on 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 the NPL chat that we've got going on here? Uh yeah. So there's uh, a new app that uh, Football Taz are using called uh, Dribble or D R I B L. Yeah, yeah, pre- yeah. So I'm pretty sure that it's used uh, on the mainland a bit more predominantly. I think we're only in the early build stages, but does everyone still have uh, problems like with us when it comes to getting team sheets and scores? Like, does it come through pretty quickly, or is it just us that's struggling? I found it work. Uh, no. WA WA uses their own app called Squatty as well, and there's a lot of problems with it early on. Newland yeah. uh, South Wales also use Squatty, and, and that is really difficult to use. You can't get team sheets stats in there. It's very difficult. Okay, good. So it's not just um, us struggling because we got told by the referees um, that it's no longer with paper. Like, you know how you'd get like the paper team sheet? It's all just done electronically. Apparently, um, the referees will log like the team sheet, the scorers and things like that at the end. But like I'm on the app tonight and there's been like two games that have been played and only one of them has been updated. And there was a cup final as well. And that hasn't been updated either. It's, It's just so frustrating, especially like for us. Are being reporters like we can't like report like on a on a new signing or something or see who scored like it could be hard like to get these uh can I, can I give you can I give you a can I give you an inside um tip download uh football twenty four that's a great app um I don't know who they've got working on that thing but a lot of the MPLs get updated uh quite frequently uh, and well I don't know if they would have Tasmania I have to be brutally honest with you though Tanner um on that one but. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you should put the finger up on me. Um, but yeah, what, uh, what I would say is, um, yeah, no, nah, obviously, look, the, the the state federations are trying to do all they can to to kind of make this, um, you know, make this as I guess working as cohesively as possible, so people can get get that quick kind of update in in what's going on. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's I guess it is a process. Hey, um, but I'll just quickly talk about the NPL Victoria results. So um, we had. If I could just really quickly bring them up. Um, yeah, actually, a huge result was on Friday night uh, with Oakley Oakley thrashed Heidelberg 5-0 uh, away from home, which was a massive result between two of the big sides. Uh, Green Gully beat Port Melbourne on the same night 3-2, uh, which is a big result for them. Uh, and then early today, I thought it was an interesting result with Melbourne Knights beating Bentley 1-0. Ben Kahn, who is their coach, obviously did some great work up in Queensland, um, and he is continuing to, to do some great stuff. I caught a little bit of that game, um, and uh, yeah, they look really good. Did, did Melbourne Knights. Uh, in terms of the standings there, South Melbourne are top, four from four, with 12 points. Uh, Oakley and Avondale, second and third, both on 10 points. Then there's a bit of a drop-off, uh, but at the bottom, Bentley Greens, 
four losses from four games. Obviously, a club that's been uh, quite prevalent in in the FFA slash Australia Cup in years gone by. Heidelberg also in the drop zone uh, with one point from four games. So some of the big hitters in Melbourne uh, in Victoria uh, are actually are actually kind of struggling at the moment, which is which is interesting interesting to see. Um, now I'll just quickly get some MPL Queensland results up. I will say this: I did manage to catch a game from the MPL Queensland this week. Uh, which was uh, Lions FC versus Brisbane City. Um, and that was between two of the bigger clubs, again, in Queensland. Lions FC were 3-0 up in this game, went to back to 3-0, Brisbane City, incredible comeback, and then Lions FC ran out 6-3 winners. Um, so, yeah, it's um, it's like a yeah a crazy kind of nine-goal thriller that, that, that I saw there, which was uh, really interesting, I thought, to bring up um, as well. So... Yeah, some some interesting stuff there. We mentioned actually Scott McDonald earlier and his Gold Coast Knights side. They're currently um, eighth in the NPL Queensland as well, just out of interest there. Olympic, uh, who are one of the big clubs in Queensland, also Peninsula Power, they have yet to get a point after two games, both in the relegation zone. Uh, Morton Bay United have started surprisingly well without a uh, defeat in three games, seven points, and they are top of the league. So yeah, some some interesting things actually around the NPL with some of the big clubs not maybe performing um not performing at the at the standard that uh, that they that they probably expect so yeah um Matt let's bring you in um yes. and let's let's talk about what's going on out series West. finals what's that yeah yeah yeah, so, yeah. So talk the, about the NPL, series yeah. talk about start of the season talk about whatever you deem fit all right well obviously they've, they've just had this grand final two grand finals one for the state league one for the NPL um, basically, the night series has just formed as the, the pre-season cup for now. Um, so, as you know, former Celtic player Lee Griffiths was playing a special two-game stint with Commander City. He has actually signed a full-time contract. <laughs> unbelievable, unbelievable story um, that a, a, such a high-caliber professional player is playing in the WA State Leagues. And he came on right at the end of the game for the State League final with Mandra City. And... Uh, he has. Uh, he's. Uh, he's not. Uh, he didn't score or anything, but he's obviously been a part in the um, in the squad and the penalty shootout, the, the the win that they got over Fremantle City. So Manchester City have, have won uh, the the competition there. Um, and in the NPL, it was um, a come from behind win that also. Or no, it wasn't a come from behind win. There was a. They would. The Kingsway were losing to Inglewood. 1-0, uh, managed to snatch it at the death and then also win on penalties. So both grand finals going to penalties over one night and um, they actually threw a really big occasion for it. There was you know, f- uh, flamethrowers going off at the ground and there was a concert <laughs> at halftime and things like this. And I, I didn't didn't know Football West was capable of it, so a very good way to start the season. That's for the MPL itself. Look, we, um, yeah. yeah, I know, it's crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, yeah. yeah. As, as for, the, as for the, uh, the MPL itself, I think one of the big surprise packets will, in fact, be Olympic Kingsway. They've just been promoted and they've had all of this money sort of pumped in from various different sources towards the club, so much so that they are actually hosting a Women's World Cup team. They will be hosting Denmark at their facilities oh, wow. um, while they are playing at the Women's World Cup. So pretty, pretty um, impressive step up the step up the pyramid and also a big season ahead for them. Will they be contenders? Look, I, I think they, they very well could be, but I don't think they'll be a league winner. I'd probably be sticking with... Uh, Floriot or or Bayswater City um, or even even um, you know Perth SC they've, they've had a few bad runs but they could be on the way back up so that that's about it from WA and um, a big season to uh, to be excited for after the grand finals. Yeah, all right. Uh, yeah, very much interested in Lee Griffiths because um, based on his initial stint, um, he definitely um, you know 
didn't uh, didn't get along with maybe uh, one or two of the spectators down there at um, Mandura City? Uh, firstly, you've to the pronunciation, but I'll, I'll let that slide. Sorry. Um, yes. No, that's okay. Um, um, yes, yeah, so, I mean, how can I put this? We're not talking about a very high level of football here, right? And there's obviously going to be a lot of Sunday league type antics that, that, that go on. And obviously, you know, a hothead from the Scottish Prem, such as Lee Griffiths, yeah, you are going to, you are, you are going to have incidents that happen and, and occur. So, yeah, there, there was some... Um, there were semantics, but honestly, I think you still have to be really excited that a player of that caliber is coming down to play, and and that um, the league is sort of getting there in, in terms of the development, and and yeah, I mean, everyone's just excited for it over here, to be honest. Yeah. All right. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to take one very very quick small break, and then we're going to finish off with some with some women's football chats. So uh, yeah, if you've made it this far on the pod, again, you're an absolute legend. Um, and uh, yeah, stick around. Okay, last little bit of this bumper podcast. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about A-League women. Um, Tanner, Jack, and Jake have all uh, signed off, so uh, you will no longer hear from them on the podcast, which leaves just our two A-League women experts in Cody Jada and Matt Olson, and myself, who is not an expert, um, but I'm sure can drive a A-League woman conversation. So um, let's talk about the two upsets that occurred um, yesterday um, with Wellington Phoenix <laughs> pulling off probably the... I mean, I don't know. Is it is it is it the biggest upset in dub history? Wellington Phoenix beating Sydney FC one nil away from home. I I don't know if I can answer that question off the top of my head. Um, I'd argue in a way, and I'd say this in a way that their win against Canberra was bigger, mainly because it was their first win of the season and the way that it was done. I think this result, as much as Sydney FC are this much more colossal team, it, it was done in a way in a fashion that you probably would expect from Wellington Phoenix. Very gutsy, very back to the, back to the wall. Um, that kind of style it wasn't that emphatic thing, that, that emphatic win that they had with Canberra United, where they were just turned into this almost prime Barcelona team and looked unstoppable going forward. It was very much a different case. But um, look, I think it does speak a lot to Wellington. And just gonna plug um, front page dub from earlier in the week with um Riley Dobson. We were talking about we obviously went in depth with the situation with Newcastle. And the fact that them as a football club and particularly the women's space are very, very much below par. Um, people can say what they want about Riley's comments um, the week before about the state they're in and whether puppies would have done a better job. The point is, the more you focus on that, the more it takes away from the issues that are at hand. And Wellington Phoenix coming up. One thing I do believe about Wellington Phoenix is they're not the worst team in the competition. Newcastle Jets are, and this win takes... Um, a step closer to the ladder, showing truly where clubs should really belong in the league. Wellington Phoenix, they don't have the worst attack. They don't have the worst defense. Um, Newcastle Jets in the second category do. And I think Newcastle Jets are about to get a rude awakening when a club that is very much solely focused on developing young players and have let results go on a back burner, if Newcastle Jets are going to let them overtake them on, on, on a competitive ladder, that should be the wake-up call that they need if people calling them out on their performances aren't. Yeah. I, I uh, just yeah. want to touch on the initial conversation there about is that the greatest upset ever because you know what's insane is that we, we had this this uh, massive narrative about the Wanderers and, oh, my God, it's Doomsday for the Wanderers. 
And then they went and beat City and they won those two games in a row and everything was stabilised. And that, that was an incredible upset at the time. And then we had this whole thing with the Phoenix. So, well, you know, they're just trying to develop players, but everything's been gone wrong for the World Cup and it's doomsday for, for the Phoenix. And then they come out and they smash Gabriel Fonio and they beat City 1-0. And then it's just like, oh, okay, so now it's doomsday for the Jets. And let's talk about how bad the Jets are. Why, <laughs> if, if Jets why win their next match, they have week. lots to thank. If, yeah, well, if Jets well, win the next match, they have us to thank. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's, it's the FPF curse. Yeah. It's well, it's the opposite of a curse, isn't it? Because we're hoping the teams to the FPF blessing. But yes, the FPF blessing. <laughs> inadvertent in, in inverted curse. Inverted curse. Yes, yeah. the inverted curse. So cursing I mean, ourselves. Yeah. Well, that's it. But uh, what's what's um what's pretty crazy is that all of this has sort of gone on as one narrative at the start of the season. And I think it's it's comparative with the men's competition, right? In that we have this conversation around, oh, well, you know, there's, there's these teams who are performing in this way and they're going through that transition period and we have all these teams sort of stacked in that same position. And we're kind of looking at a, a similar dynamic in the dub where, like, it's clear who the top teams are. It's clear who the bottom teams are. And then there's, like, the one or two in between and that's just the state of the league constantly. There's always the doomsday teams. There's always the teams who play up the top. But there's never always sort of the, uh, you know, the, the dominant force. Well, actually, I suppose Melbourne City and both competitions are exactly that. But I just find it interesting that the way that the A-League as a cap league always has these very interesting narratives ongoing. And I think that the dub is really um, sort of taking a lot of that on board at the moment. Yeah. And then the other upset um, was Brisbane Raw. No, I mean, not, not as massive an upset, but definitely a shock result was Brisbane Raw beating West United um, 2 0. Shea Connors scored twice in that game as well. Uh, and the Raw keep their top four hopes alive. And yes, we are going to have a brief discussion around the top four again, but it's going to be much briefer. Um, if you want to catch more of top four discussions, then go and check out Front Page Dub with Cody and Matt because they go into it much more in depth and much more better than I do, uh, for sure. So Brisbane, the table sits like this. Now with that win, they've leapfrogged um, Perth and now they are three points off of victory in fourth, but victory have this game in hand tomorrow uh, or today by the time the pod comes up uh, against City, of course, in the derby. Um, and Canberra United, um, who who drew uh, with the Wanderers, sensational goal by the way by uh, Vesna Milivojevic. That was incredible. Uh, that volley, um, and they are two points off fourth. Um, and of course, victory though with that game in hand. So uh, Perth have still a game in hand on Brisbane and Canberra. Although, dare I say, and Matt, you could probably say this that that Adelaide result felt like just a kind of major blow. Um, and I'm not too sure. Again, this this derby tomorrow, um, Canberra, Brisbane, and Perth are pretty much have got their Melbourne City uh, scarves out. Um, so yeah, that's 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 basically the situation uh, going into it. Um, so it's it's going to be really interesting to see see how this plays out. This weekend is surmised by the fact that Canberra and Perth drop points. All the more reason why the top four will stay exactly the same. And Cody knows I'm right. Uh, no, but also actually. <laughs> We, we, we do have to have a conversation, um, Cody. I've attacked you too many times on this, uh, you know, long podcast that we've been doing for five days or however long we've been in this room for. But, um, yeah, look. Um, people don't Cody, realize don't that we – sorry, sorry, sorry. People don't realize that we have conversations in the breaks as well, which, which, <laughs> which extend the recording. <laughs> for anyone yeah, that doesn't know, we've been going for, for hours. three hours at the moment. <laughs> oh, like, you know God. what? I wouldn't want it any other way. Exactly. And look, oh, yeah, if you enjoyed that um nice little debate, I think you can put it in lighter terms that me and Matt had about um the Australian under twenties World Cup, you would love front page dub because our debates about how the top four race is gonna play out is very similar. 
look, yeah, exactly. is it set in 20. stone? No. Will it probably stay the way it is if I'm putting money on it? Yes. But <laughs> especially if this appeal gets overturned by Canberra, there is a chance. And you know what? There's a, probably a pretty good that. chance. Yep. Unfortunately, yeah, well, this is exactly it lies. Exactly what I Cody to talk about. Is the, is the appeal. So please proceed with talking about the appeal. <laughs> Look, we spoke, it was something we spoke about a lot on the last episode of Front Page Dub, especially with Riley. A big thank you for her coming on as well. Um, the reality is, if this was purely a refereeing error, Canberra really shouldn't be punished for it. And the way the league is set up, if they are punished for it in their current setting, it is in a way colossal for them. They get those three points. They're, they're pretty much in the driver's seat. For, oh, maybe not the driver's seat. They're a lot better um, proposition for the top four than what they are without those three points. Mm-hmm. And it does take away a little bit of this thing that in the um, Canberra Melbourne victory game that's coming up, I would love for that game to really be a battle for the top four. And if Canberra win, I will be going on the next front page dub episode and absolutely rubbing it, rubbing it into Matt Olsen that the top four race is well and truly alive. I don't think you can rub it in until they actually like we actually see our plays out and if they actually get fourth. Oh, I, look, I think if that's they lose bit. that match, I will be the first person to put my hand no, up and say that top you know four what, race though, is done. If the if the top four changes, eating my humble pie, to be honest, like, yeah, I think it'll get to the point where victory probably seal fourth. But if they lose it for a week, like, yeah, dude, Cody, you've probably won, won the argument. To be honest, there the was like four. that when, when Perth just, had... And now they've lost it. But when Perth had that brief period where it was like, okay, if Perth win the game in hand, then they're actually like in the driver's seat. It was kind of like, oh my God, like this is happening. Um, so, yeah, exactly. You know, um, yeah. The victory, thing is, if there's anyone that's yeah. going to take it off victory, it's probably Canberra. I don't see, and we were meant to be talking about Brisbane Raw. We've kind of diverted. I'm going to track it back to them. I don't see Perth getting in there, unfortunately. Brisbane, they've had a real knack of kind of going... Bri- sorry, Brisbane seem like they've been better lately, or is that, am I just... It's, yeah. they, they've had this knack for not really being noticeably poor, but not being noticeably good either. Mm. This is probably the first result I've seen of them this season that's been... Yeah, wow. yeah. I, I think, I think, but but also the isolation of sort of beating Western United. Western United have had their slip-ups this season. So from that perspective, it's not like Brisbane have done a lot to cause the upset. Perth also beat Western United... West United have dropped points on other occasions as well. So, but yeah, I mean, Brisbane are just so weird. <laughs> and I don't, I don't want to have that conversation again because I always do. But yeah, just they're, think- they're, they're, they're sort of in a position where they are playing better. But I still think that their ceiling is a little bit off. Let me just say that. I think if there's a conversation that has to be had about that game, Shay Connors, since she has been um, transferred into that striker role, has been a lot better, just not just in her, in her own game, but for Brisbane Aura as well. They've looked much better as a team. They look much more potent going forward. Um, it, it It's a credit to her. She was someone who I probably had questions over her ability throughout different areas of last season. I thought she probably could have increased her um, end product a little bit, and even at the start of this season to a certain extent, even if the first game she did have a bit of a good game in round one. Uh, kind of dipped off for a bit, but yeah, especially going back in that striker role, it probably feels a bit more natural for her. And, yeah, we're starting to see the best of her, and we're starting to see why she was um, one of the, the most dangerous, almost one of the most dangerous strikers in the NPL New South Wales women's last season. I can't yep. remember. I'm pretty sure Rolla, it was between her and Rolla about a week for um, top goal scorer. And, yeah, you're talking about probably the best um, NPL women's competition in Australia. No disrespect to Victoria, but there are, there are a lot of administrative issues that probably hold her back from being 
what it can be. But um, yeah, to be performing at that level in the NPL New South Wales as much as the NPL, it's it's still um a great credit to her. Before we get into our last little thing, I mean, Matt, you've said that Victory are like you you you've said it many times on the front page dub pod that Victory, you know, their finals team, that's what they do. It comes to finals, but I mean. They've won six games out of 14. Like, I know, I know, I get that they're a finals team, but that's pretty, like, they haven't even, you know, it's kind of similar to the Haley men discussion that we're having earlier, where it's kind of like just a bit weird that, like, a team that's, you know, a championship pedigree team hasn't even won 50% of their games, um, I, I guess is, is a little bit strange. I think the one thing that you can counter to that is that victory have probably been weaker than in previous seasons. So when they've sort of snuck in and done it, they've snuck in and done it in a very comprehensive way. And that's why I'm quite stubborn on the view that they're still in that elite mould and the likes of Canberra, Perth, Brisbane are not. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I definitely concede your point. I think we just mm-hmm. have to revert back to what I said before. The A-League just does strange things because the A-League just does strange things, you know. It comes with the territory of, of, of the way the league is set up. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Um this top four thing is uh, is quite the conversation with that with that added, added element of, of the camera I, stuff. I, I'm I'm not going to lie that I really want this camera thing to get overturned, and I just want like either Canberra or Brisbane or someone to just get in fourth just to see the chaos that's going to rain on the uh, on the next front page dub episode. But um, yeah, like Cody mentioned, go and check out um, um, his episode with um, with Riley Dobson um, because it was uh, yeah very very good very good listen. Uh, Riley spoke very well on that. I thought for um, those that may be yeah. more interested. in in the men's side of the game, there is a bit of insight into Patrick Kisnogo's mm. time at Melbourne City, including a little thing about why she um, spat pool water in his face. <laughs> yeah, she's a great character. Seriously, Riley, great character. And she was great to have on, um, for sure, on the podcast. Now, uh, we'll just briefly touch on, to finish, this will be the very last thing um, to end the six-day-long podcast that we've recorded here. Um, and yeah, it is that the... Uh, news has broken this week uh, by the ABC. It looks like uh, the Women's Australian Cup, Australia Cup is going to commence next year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Cody, you can probably speak to this a little bit. What, um, what are your thoughts on this? It seems like something which is probably inevitable uh, that it was going to come in at some point. But, um, yeah, good to see it up and running potentially next year. The only thing that kind of surprises me is how early they're expecting to implement it. I think, um, look, there's still an issue where a lot of players are contracting themselves between an A-League women's club and an NPL women's club and how that plays out between the Australia Cup when mm. they're competing against each other. That does raise some concerns for me. But in terms of the natural progression of women's football in Australia, it was it, w- it was a natural next step. It was something that's going to be implemented. And it comes off the back of uh, Football New South Wales implementing the Sapphire Cup, which will link... The uh, federation, not federation clubs, the um, MPL clubs to your local member federation clubs. So we're starting to see kind of the link uh, linkage between all games, at least at a state level, in women's football now. Obviously, the next step will be to do it at the national level too. So I'm very, very happy it's happening in that regard. Would I have liked to see the A League women's professionalize before this was implemented? Yes, but look, I, I'm definitely intrigued to see how it's going to play out. As much as there's concerns, it'll it will only eventually be good for the game. Even if there's issues in the first couple of years where that they've got to iron out, it's not it's it's a cup competition. It's not like people need to commit to traveling interstate um, fifteen times a season. They they they'll be lucky to have one trip. So it's not going to be at a cost to or at a damaging cost to any MPL A League clubs or players. 
It's important to understand that the one thing that this does is it increases the profile of the women's football at the grassroots level. And just that one factor alone can be such a big motivator for an increase in profile, for an increase in funding for a lot of women's clubs, whether they be women's specific clubs, whether they be clubs that are wanting to find more reasons to back their women's program more and more. Um, and for that reason alone, you know, you can only look at this and be really, really excited by what's what's on offer essentially at, at this point. Yeah. Yeah, and I should mention whilst we're on the topic that uh, many of the many of the state NPL women uh, leagues have have kicked off um, around the country, and yeah, uh, I know locally started this week. Uh, this weekend was the uh, the SA uh, WNPL, uh, and more to the point, actually, on that point, um, Matt, that you mentioned around kind of the um, the grassroots now becoming a bit more, I guess, recognisable and stuff, is that kind of you got now NPL TV showing a lot of like NPL New South Wales, NPL Vic uh, women's games as well now. So uh, that that's obviously great too uh, for those players to, I guess, get more recognition and get identified uh, more on a national uh, a national scale. All right, boys, um, you have you were the last two standing uh, with me, so, so good work there. Um, I don't think you have anything else to add. If you do, feel free to check I actually in. do. I actually do, and I don't know why we both just And you do need to extend the podcast. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say on the on the rally stuff that um, when she went on Instagram and said check out this podcast that I was on, she didn't add front page football. She added Cody's account at Cody Ojeda or Cody Ten uh, Ojeda or whatever it is. Christian, how furious does that make you? It does not make me furious at all. It's okay. Um, that that is not a problem. I think I think Riley's probably had enough of people like you know having go at her through social media and stuff. So maybe we'll just maybe we'll just leave that. Yeah. But, but we need to grow the brand. Why would that be an issue? Well, because we need to grow the brand, not the individual, mate. It's a team effort. Cody, you should have said, "Hey, make sure you tag out front page football." Well, and people look, go to my account box. and they will see front page football in my bio. So I think there's enough there. I think it'll be okay. Um, I did. I did have one parting comment, and that was: I hope um, Christian doesn't sack any of us come Monday morning, which will be after this podcast was um posted. For all our comments, just at the start of this podcast, which Matt you actually missed. So okay. unlucky for you. There was some great banter just in the intros. It took five minutes just to get through that. I think because me and Jack just started spinning shit. But yeah, Christian, please let yeah. me keep my job. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> it was so long ago. Christian doesn't remember. <laughs> No, 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 I do. I do. Okay. Um, Jack really is just a shit stirrer when he comes onto this podcast. That uh, That is for sure. Um, That's why we love him. That is why we love him. That is why we love him. Um, also, guys, if you're listening to the podcast, like, let us know, you know, if there's anything you'd like to see kind of content-wise, anything like you want. Do you want any, like, segments, anything like that? You know, feel free to let us know. Give us some feedback. We're always looking for feedback. Um, you know, uh, we're not, we're not uh, experts or anything so um feel free to feel free to give us uh any uh any relevant feedback um and yeah let us know what you think of our content of course uh drop a like on on the post that you access this podcast through check out our social media of course as always twitter and instagram that's at front p front pg football uh facebook front page football um and also we're on linkedin and we're also on tiktok uh which i've also got to remember that i mentioned tiktok because cody uh that was another thing that he picked up on me about uh, a couple of podcasts ago so yeah i've got to do that 
right now. Thanks, Cody. Um, all right. You're very welcome, Christian. No, no problem. No problem. Okay. Uh, if you, as I said earlier, if you've gone through the whole podcast, you're a legend. Um, go and check out the website as well. Front PG, uh, not front PG, <laughs> front page football.net. I really am losing the plot now. This has gone on for way too long. All right. Signing off. I've been your host, Christian Marchetti. Cody Jada, Matt Olson here as well. Jake Holub. Jack Tuhill, Tanner Code from earlier, Bumper Podcast, and uh, we'll be back next week, probably at uh, around the same time as well. So, uh, yeah, catch you then.